Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here. We're just so glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be joined by John Hoover, franchise in Tulsa, also SI Sooners, as we'll get a complete breakdown of OU from Hoover when he joins us coming up later on. And we'll also have our Tom Fulbright story of the week as well coming up at the end of today's show. Thomas Bridges out and filling in is our own Luke Slayball. We can say that now. Our own Luke Slayball, the host of Raw Tools, which you can download and subscribe each and every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And we're glad to have him here this week. Luke, it is always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. You were just with us a couple weeks ago. Now, uh... You're, uh, you're sitting alongside me in the big chair. We're glad to have you for uh, the full show today, man. What's going on? It's becoming a regular thing, and it really it makes my day brighter and better. I, I love how the Jones Report takes just everything. It throws the entire kitchen sink at you, NFL, NCAA. You got Hoover on, who I absolutely love. Caught up with, with Hoover not only at OU games, but at some Owasso High School football games in the past. He's a really cool dude. So I'm excited for this whole, this whole shebang, the whole deal to come through. This is the Tulsa show, uh, I guess, with you here and with Hoove here. Like, we, we got the whole shebang. I don't know how much I identify as a Tulsa these days, but I'm everywhere. I, I, I enjoy it. And the great state of Oklahoma produces, as we see right here, some of the best people in the biz. So let's keep that going. Yeah, no doubt about it. And before we dive into too much shop and such, Luke, you're two weeks in on your show. I listened to both episodes. You've done a great job. You've had some good guests. Mm-hmm. What would you tell the folks about Raw Tools and the first couple shows that you've done, man? It's only going to get better. So if you liked it, stay hooked. And if you didn't like it, just stick it out a little bit more. I know that mom and dad really like it. So so that's good. And yeah, I, I that's just, nice. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's it's great to hear. I'm not I'm not disappointing you this week, son. No, I think it's great. I really. I just I want to expand as much as I can. I want to bring on different looks, different people all different backgrounds and yeah, we're going to flesh it out and and go as crazy off the wall as we can. I love it. And it's been a great show so far and there's going to be some good stuff coming up in the very near future on raw tools, a part of the uh, studio soapbox network. And I certainly encourage you to check that out. Luke, I just got back from Kansas city. I was at the NASCAR race out there and we did the let's go racing podcast with David Starr. did a live show out there, had a lot of fun doing it. And, uh, you know, being on site for that and, and uh, seeing the race car, you know, with the, uh, we had Brett Bear, the uh, Fox News anchor, his book was on the car this week. And so that was cool to see. We called it the general because Ulysses S. Grant was on the car. And Oof. so that thing, it looked badass, but it, it ran slow as hell, to be honest. Um, you know, we had A lot some- like Ulysses Grant. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. We had uh, some carburetor issues uh, on, on Saturday, but nonetheless, it was a it was a good good weekend and a lot of good times. I will say, uh, Luke, that while I was out there, um, I uh, as the weekend was wrapping up, we as a group decided to go to the Longhorn Steakhouse. You've been to Longhorn Steakhouse? Uh, maybe when I was ten, yes, but not in recent days. Why'd you go there? So it wasn't my choice. It was David's choice. He wanted to go along with the second. Of course it was. Okay. Yes. D- David is a simple man. This guy eats Whataburger, Olive Garden, uh, Longhorn Steakhouse. Uh, I mean, like, just the simple things in life. He- he's doing fine financially, but he would probably eat those same three things every day. Um, but that's beside the point. Anyway, so we go to Longhorn Steakhouse. And for, for a while, uh, Star has told me, 
He's like, Tyler, you need to live every day like it's your birthday. And I'm like, okay, sure. Um, and he said, that's what he does. He lives every day like it's a birthday. Well, I had, to, I stepped out. I took a phone call, Luke. And while I was out, Star, he ends up telling the waitress that it's my birthday. My birthday was five months ago. It was all the way back in May. And he knows this too. He's you know being funny. And we finish our meal, whatever. And everybody starts singing happy birthday. And they bring out this tray. It says happy birthday and caramel or caramel, depending on who you ask. And this big old thing, ice cream. And then they say my name. I'm like, what? It's not my birthday. And so I end up with this, uh, with free ice cream on uh on what wasn't my birthday. It was look, it was the best fake birthday ever. My brother used to pull that prank on his friends all the time when he was in high school and middle school. Uh, Tyler, I always remember your birthday. Do you know why? Because we have the same birthday, right? Because it's my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, buddy, think about, uh, I think about you all day when it's my birthday. Well, thank you. The uh, feeling is mutual. <laughs> Our buddy uh, Sully Ingalls, I think, has the same birthday, too. He does. I try to think about Sully sometimes, too. Sometimes. Yes. That's good. Um, so the next time I'm with David, he already told me that Dominic Oregon, who we work with on the show, it's going to be Dominic's birthday. So uh, we'll just keep this tradition going of some sort, celebrating birthdays when they're not and getting free dessert out of it. It's Is it stealing? Yeah, yeah, it is. Star is <laughs> going to get caught for fraud one of these days. I love it. I love it. Yeah, he, he would be the type. Uh what, so so that's what I've been up to. Had a, a nice uh, couple days in Kansas City. And uh, I'm actually headed back there next week, Luke. I'm going to the uh, Chiefs-Giants Monday night football game. Well, I hope you enjoy some semblance of football. I don't know if it'll be a good game, but uh, Chiefs are clearly the better team. They're the more talented team. And they're playing, I think, the team that's underperformed, not underperformed, but the team that's played the worst in the NFC. Like the Giants aren't the worst team. That's the Lions. But like in terms of meeting expectations, like there's not even like they're not even approaching the bar. They like played limbo, but like to the third degree where they're just like flat on the floor. I cannot stand that Joe Judge coach team. It's undisciplined. It's really crummy. So you and would so, take Patrick Mahomes over Daniel Jones. <laughs> I know that I know that sounds crazy. Um <laughs> Mahomes is gonna get it together. He's he's in circumstances of course not been his way but I mean 11 turnovers is, is not great it's not ideal it's it's feeling like Texas Tech Patrick Mahomes in a way right like the supporting cast really hasn't backed him up at all but no the Chiefs should win they should win by more than I mean they're, they're, it's a nine point spread right now like they should win handily but like emphasis on the should we really don't know it could be a shootout I don't know maybe so that remains to be seen uh as far as that goes, we'll uh, we'll preview that game in uh, just a moment. Luke, uh, what what do you got going on? What's uh, what's going on in your neck of the woods these days, man? Well, I'll tell you. I, I uh, curled up on the couch and I started watching the 1999 Japanese film Audition today. I don't know if you ever heard of that. It's kind of influential in the uh, horror um, thriller genre. In that, like all the Saw movies, all the I don't know. I mean, the ring, I think, was made by the same guy necessarily. But this has gotten, like, a really, like, bad tradition of, like, breaking the contract between filmmaker and audience member and viewer because, like, the first hour and a half is, like, 
a thriller like with some romance elements in there and sure. the final 30 minutes are absolutely crazy just nuts in terms of like violence and horror that like i turned it off and this was maybe an hour or so before we were recording but i turned it off right before it like went to absolute hell like like this guy enters his house alone and i'm like oh this is where it happens right and then i turned it off and then you texted me and i was like okay we can do this um so that is kind of what's been going on in the meantime so i'm um, holding you back from the horror <laughs> I've seen horrors. You've seen uh, Apocalypse Now, Marlon Brando. I've seen horrors. Horrors you've seen. <laughs> Heart of Darkness. What a time. <laughs> Hello, Darkness, my old friend. <laughs> I have no words. That's wonderful. Uh, I, I'm very happy for you. That, uh, that sounds very entertaining. Uh, Luke, let's go ahead and uh, dive into the uh, slates of uh, NFL games this week in the National Football League. Big one coming up tonight. Packers and the Cardinals. Devontae Adams is on the COVID list, along with Alan Lazard. The time we're taping this, it looks like those guys are out, but we're not for certain, you know, as far as that goes, I believe. J.J. Watt is going to be out for Arizona. Man, the the Cardinals at 7-0, Green Bay at 6-1. Even with Green Bay shorthanded here, um, if I, I still feel like, Luke, that this is a chance for Arizona to prove that they're legit or not. Even if they beat a Green Bay, a shorthanded Green Bay team here, they can make a statement, send a message to the rest of the league that they've arrived, essentially. I agree. And as of this recording, DeAndre Hopkins, also questionable. Max Garcia, the center, is going to be out most likely. So they're they're missing key pieces, Arizona. Like, if they win this game, it's going to be well-earned. Aaron Rodgers is going to be a great road warrior. Like, this game is going to be close. I think – adding so many points to the spread when uh, uh, Adams was declared out like that is, I, I think it was maybe an overreaction. I, I think that Green Bay is going to make this a competitive game with Rogers. And, and I think to your point, Arizona has done such a good job. They've hit on their personnel. I think Steve Kimes done a great job with that. Um, Chandler Jones has been excellent. Isaiah Simmons has been good at linebacker. Kyler, of course, at quarterback been great. Uh, Marcus Golden leading the team in sacks with six sacks. I'm a Mizzou guy. So, yeah, they'll miss J.J. Watt, and it'll be a, a tough competitive game. But I do think Arizona edges it out slightly. Yeah. Um, Kyler Murray, this is a guy that you saw up close and personal at the University of Oklahoma. Tell me, uh, from, from your vantage point, what he's done in the NFL, the way that he's transitioned this uh, system with Cliff Kingsbury. I'm not surprised at all, Luke, about what I've seen from Kyler Murray. I'm more so surprised that the system has worked out the way it has under Cliff Kingsbury, that Cliff has been this successful as an NFL coach. That's what is more to my eyes. It's not Kyler. He's who I thought he would be. I didn't think Cliff would be in this position of, you know, being a seven and coach in the national football league. No one really saw that coming. And I remember the criticisms, especially from like Dale Hansen at a WFAA in Dallas when Kingsbury got the job, you know, it was a whole nepotism thing. He knows Sean McVay type thing. Like really Kingsbury's career has been falling upwards since he left the NFL, but he's always been considered a smart guy. And again, I think the credit goes to Steve Kime in that front office for knowing personnel and giving him and Kyler the supporting pieces necessary to make a, a legitimate run. Picking up Zach Ertz for tight end was absolutely brilliant. I think Kyler's got so many different options that if you do miss DeAndre Hopkins for a game, you can still throw a competitive offense out there that puts up 30 points. Got off to a slow start last week against Houston, but I still think it's such a, a well-oiled machine right now. 
And Kyler, as you mentioned earlier, has gotten better each year, especially this year now. He's efficient. He's, he's been a playmaker the first year and a half, struggled a little bit with accuracy, wasn't making those simple plays, but was good for the Hail Mary. And now these days you're seeing the complete Kyler Murray, all that five-star prospect talent, all those tools coalesce and turning into the game's premier quarterback right now. I feel like Aaron Rodgers on the other side. Yes, he had that bad outing against New Orleans week one. Not a great first half against Detroit, but they've been a different team ever since. And I think that he's kind of in like take no prisoner mode of some sorts. I like what I've seen from Aaron in this Green Bay offense. They've been a different team since that second half against Detroit, I think. Absolutely. I remember listening to your episode a week ago and just the attitude he brought to that Chicago rivalry game, the whole I own you spiel. I love um, it. I thought that. I thought that was really good. And I think the NFL needs more of that, but really Green Bay needs more of that, right? Like Green Bay is kind of this cool, you know, small market, you know, kind of doesn't bother anyone type thing. Yeah, they're a threat in their division, but in terms of a national powerhouse and a national brand, a a Super Bowl contender, uh, this case is still yet to be made. But I think Aaron Rodgers is, again, doing an excellent job uh, leading the charge. Yeah, let's uh, let's go through some of these other games now. Uh, The Sunday slate. Panthers and uh, Falcons, Panthers three and four, Falcons at three and three, Atlanta, a three-point favorite here. Uh, The Panthers started out hot, but they have really just hit a wall the last couple of weeks. Atlanta, not anything to write home about. Um, If you somehow get this game on your local Fox station, I'm sorry, Luke. (laughs) Thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. And even to this day, though, I still think that, again, just – a smart mind like Matt Rule, I think they could edge this one out. It might be a high-scoring game, but I think they, they could make it happen. Uh, Carolina's that team that has an equal scoring defense and scoring offense. They give and have given up the same points per game. I think it's like 21 points per game across the board, so it's been this very equilateral, even thing. Um, right now, I mean, missing McCaffrey. Chuba Hubbard's not a starting running back in the NFL right now. It, it's kind of sad, and Darnold's suffered from it as well. I'm having to force throws, but I would give Carolina the lead just because you don't know what you're going to get out of Atlanta. So that's my spiel. I think, I mean, it's a home field advantage, quote unquote, for Atlanta, but I give it to Carolina. Yeah, I'd lean towards Carolina too. I like Matt Rule. Um, he's so he, smart. I, I, he's, he is. He's one of those coaches that, I mean, I would not fault him just because of the, the volatility these first couple of seasons in Carolina. If like USC came calling in college football, or I don't know, LSU probably doesn't put him on their radar but if if some premier college team called him back and said hey love your work you want to audition like i would if i were matt rule i would do it that's not a bad idea and i haven't thought about that in all honesty but uh carolina is still another year before they're a playoff team even so something to consider there and you know for, for his future he's a very good coach who knows uh dolphins taking on the bills Here's something to think about. I mean, we, we know the Bills are going to win this game. I mean, that's, you know, a given. You know, they're a 13-and-a-half-point favorite. Is this Tua's last game as the starting quarterback in Miami? Are we going to see Deshaun Watson there next week? I would be really surprised. Uh, you've seen the reports that they've agreed to terms, like what it would take to trade Deshaun Watson and what compensation uh, Houston gets for him. But it's clear that – they don't think two is the guy. They've just been underwhelmed through through 13 starts. It, it's it's sad that it didn't work out that way. But then again, why did you waste your draft pick on him if you thought this there was, was not plenty a of tape there too? 
Yeah, I, I mean, this is all on the front office, and it might end up costing some jobs de- depending on how this season goes. Uh, my uh, Deshaun Watson is is a hail mary option when you're a one in six team and more than likely a one in seven team after this week. I don't know how much it necessarily changes things or your competitive trajectory. Um, this has just been a really weird uh, rebuild, and they may have just fumbled it at midfield. Yeah, I mean, you look at this Dolphins team, Luke. I mean, this is a team that has a lot of talent, a lot of young talent. I like Brian Flores as a head coach, but you're not getting the play that you expected in 2021 from a team that is loaded everywhere except that quarterback position. Uh, I know people are pointing to the Chiefs as being the most disappointing team in the league, and you could certainly argue that. I think the Dolphins are right up there with them. There's no excuse for this team to be one and six right now. Uh, They they knew what they were getting out of two. If he wasn't good enough, then – they should have kept Fitzmagic around. Yeah, and it's it's a team that, that's so underperformed. Like you said, they were just a hair away from making the playoffs a season ago. Um, and no, it's been, it's been all downhill. Even their win over New England was, was in no way convincing. So, again, yeah, Flores, great defensive mind, great Belichick uh, product but for uh, students. But I, I, it's just been all downhill, so – uh, Josh Allen, is he the MVP right now? Or, I mean, he's at least in consideration. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it'll be interesting to see who sneaks up there. Lamar Jackson been doing well. I think you could have like about seven guys that are all logistic, r- realistic uh, MVP candidates right now. I mean, he's if Arizona, Arizona keeps it up, Kyler, I think, would be perfect right now. He seems to be the in my opinion, a, a cut above the rest right now. But, um, I mean, division schedule might say differently. We'll see. 49ers and Bears, uh, we get another just nasty matchup here. Uh, Justin Fields uh, taking on this Niners team that really just laid an egg in the fourth quarter last week on uh, Sunday Night Football. Um, you know, I look at the Niners record at two and four. Luke, this is another team I think that's better than their record indicates in we know what their defense is capable of. Uh, I'm, I am fearful for the, every week that Justin Fields is out there that he's going to get broken up. I hope this isn't the week against uh, some of those very stout Niners players there. On this point, I got to disagree in terms of San Francisco being better than their record. I think they're exactly what they are. Um, okay, doesn't doesn't matter if they're they're missing Kittle. Um, I mean, Kyle Shanahan's record is it's bad. Like, like you, you can coach, you can coach, you can. And I would say that this is the battle of the two most overrated head coaches in the league right now. Um, and that's coming from, I mean, the Bears made the playoffs. Like there's so much, I think both of them, what they have in common is they're, they're coaching scared. Like you got to hold Jimmy Garoppolo with a pair of like kitty gloves. Justin Fields is running the same game plan that they would have had when, if Andy Dalton were starting. I mean, it's a mess in both of those places right now. And yeah, no, San Francisco really did fumble the bag. Um, on Sunday night football, which is uh, sad to see. I mean, in a monsoon, no doubt. But you hear the comments that Allen Robinson made this week uh, about how, like, they're building chemistry with Justin Fields on the fly because they really didn't get all that many snaps together during training camp, which is absurd. What is preseason for if not to get your second stringers, which Fields was at the time, uh, experience and familiarity with that that group? Like, what does what does Matt Nagy do? Like, how does he run his team? I'm, I'm really curious. I, I am too. Uh, how about the uh, Browns taking on the Steelers? 
Browns at four and three, Steelers at three and three. I think the Steelers are lost cause. Big Ben <laughs> is, is so bad. And, you know, I mean, th- there's nothing funnier than watching Big Ben try to run these days. Um, but going up against this Browns team, Baker Mayfield says the bye week, you know, certainly helped him out. Case Keenum gets the win last week on Thursday night football. And now you look at this next stretch, the Steelers this week, road game against a very good Bengals team next week, then New England, and then Detroit. There's an opportunity here for Baker and the Browns to turn around their season. They're, they're at four and three right now. Uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility. This team could go on a five-game winning streak here if they can uh, take care of business w- starting with the Steelers this week. Yeah, that would be ideal. Um, keep running the ball uh, no matter who's, uh, who's carrying it. Probably not going to be Chubb. Cleveland right now, as of this recording, eight starters on offense questionable. That would be my one holdup in this game. Otherwise, Not ideal. Yes. Yeah, not ideal um, between Baker, OBJ, uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones. I mean, it would be great. I was encouraged how Case Keenum performed against the Broncos. That was fine. He did what he had to do, managed the game. Wasn't overpowering. Baker's clearly the better quarterback with the better arm. But, yes, I think you're absolutely right. And, and Baker's going to sacrifice the body. He's going to try to go out there no matter what, um, which you love about him or you're kind of turned off by. But no, I think you're right. I think Cleveland is one of those teams – yeah, seven seed, six seed, wild card team but, at this point. And, and Baker is not problem A, B, C, or D for this team. I think. I think they have a lot bigger issues. It starts with that defense. I think Baker's going to put it together. I'm a believer in Baker. He's going to be just fine. And this team has got a chance to turn around their season here. Uh, Eagles and the Lions. Uh, Luke, I don't have very nice things to say about either one of these teams. Uh, <laughs> I. I lean towards Philly here, but, uh, you know, if they're putting this game on the red zone channel, I might be tweeting Scott Hansen, some very angry messages here. Get that game off my screen. <laughs> um, Eagles more than likely going to miss Devontae Smith, um, which would be harmful, I suppose. I mean, I covered Jalen Hurts in depth when he was at Oklahoma. I think the leadership skills, the intangibles are off the charts. Still kind of juries out on whether or not he's a, a starting quarterback, a legit starting quarterback. It's a toss-up. I think, I mean, Goff's the better quarterback with the better arm. And Detroit, to their credit, I, I remember I told you that I thought the Giants were the worst team in the NFC. And statistically speaking, no, they're not. It is Detroit. Um, but Detroit has been competitive in all their games, most of their games at least. They, I think the Green Bay game, they lost it in the second half. But other than that, I mean – they're a God's hand intervening field goal from beating the Ravens, which would have been impressive. And they've kept it pretty close. I would think if there were a week that they pull it out, this would be the one. And in a way, I'm kind of hoping for it. I know we always want a 16-0 or an 0-16, and Detroit is our last hope for that to happen. 0-17. Oh, my goodness, you're right. Is they could be the first go- ever 0-17 team. I like Dan Campbell too much and Why his not? WWE wrestler attitude to ever want them to be 0-17. I hope that they can get some W. This is entertainment. This is yes. this is this is a show. This is America's longest running like soap opera, if you don't count the NBA. Like you want a character like Dan Campbell, not necessarily as a head coach running a team, but you want him involved in the show. He's I the guy, believe- if I could have a beer with any coach in the league. It's not Bill Belichick. It's Dan Campbell. Here's the thing. Dan Campbell 
could beat up any other coach in the league right now. 100%. Handily. Handily. I, I, I want that guy to succeed on some level. Like, you're Detroit's head coach, so you're not going to succeed much, but you're going to succeed, I, I don't know. He inherited a really crummy team. I think they'll win this one. You know, eventually, and it's just, it's just how it goes, the nature of the beast with the Lions, your coaches get fired. Whenever the day comes that Dan Campbell does get fired from the Lions, he is going to be wild, I think, when somebody gives him a TV job. <laughs> Do you remember him asking if they could have a live lion on the yes. sidelines for games? Yes. That's just – that's such a power move. Walk in 14 days into a job, be like, hey, man, like, uh, what if we called up the zoo? So this another, – another thought I just had, not to get totally off track, but do you think we will ever have a team that is 17 and 0? No. That's just, the, the, the probability of the odds seems so unlikely. Not happening. More likely we have somebody go 0 and 17 than 17 and 0. I think we're, we might see it this year. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. The uh, Titans taking on the Colts. Colts with a nice finish to that game uh, against the 49ers last week. I'm still not buying Carson Wentz and you know, what this Colts team has. Titans at five and two. I really like Derrick Henry, the way they run the football. They beat the crap out of my Chiefs last week. And, you know, the thing that stood out to me about that performance, Luke, was that the Chiefs, the, the Titans rather, their defense has been so bad for much of the year. And they shut down one of the best offenses and one of the best quarterbacks in the league last week, holding Kansas City three points here. The Titans didn't start out as good as what they would like. I think that. Vrabel and company, they're starting to figure themselves out a bit. I, I like where this Titans team is headed here. I think they're going to be fine here against Indy. Yeah, and that's the ultimately the, the one stat that matters is the win, right? Like Buffalo outplayed them, and they clearly – I mean, Kansas City on paper was the better team, but Tennessee, to their credit, three in a row. And, and the Colts as well are putting together a nice uh, string of, of wins right now, three out of four. Um, I mean, they curb stomped the Texans a few weeks ago. And then, of course, that Sunday night performance at San Francisco. Carson, I'm not sure. There are some plays where the, you just kind of scratch your head, like where he just basically coughed up that interception uh, to the linebacker and it was returned like 20 yards. I, I remember seeing that being like, what? That's not the guy. But I, to their credit, they're starting to turn things around. And these are, these are the two teams from the, the AFC South that will – compete for a playoff spot the other two are kind of null and void at this point but it's it's two of the hottest teams in their conference Bengals taking on the jets uh Bengals by 50 <laughs> it's interesting would we have said that like two or three weeks ago i i don't know um yeah Joe burrow is an mvp candidate yes especially after last week um 400 passing yards insane uh jamar chase is the next best thing since sliced bread um, I, I do want to address, because I was on the team draft Panay Sewell, and I think you can't go after those people who preferred Sewell over Jamar Chase. Yeah, Burrow wanted Chase. They were college teammates. Great connection. You can never give your quarterback too many weapons. The Bengals had a horrible line last year, too. Right. All, all those takes about wanting Panay Sewell, especially the, the hand-drawn memes where it was like Panay Sewell, like brick wall touchdown and then anyone else like Joe Burrow's like leg falls off but like it was all out of a place of love like Panay Sewell was like a pro bowl 
can't miss offensive line prospect. And like, you want that all the thought, all the thoughts were on protecting Joe Burrow and not having what happened last year, the ACL injury happened to him again. So I totally like no one is in the wrong for suggesting that, but in retrospect, we're starting to see um, just how much fun and how dynamic that Cincinnati offense can be um, with Jamar Chase, who was incredible. That one play where he avoided like four defenders, it reminded me of CeeDee Lamb two years ago in the Cotton Bowl against Texas, uh, the Red River game, where there were like five guys surrounding him and none of them could tackle him. It was insane. And I'm really happy because like, think about teams that need success or like have, have long been denied playoff wins or success. I remember when that one season when Cincinnati came so close to being 16-0 um, and then they coughed it up in the playoffs and like you're starting to see the foundation. A really good quarterback and a head coach where the jury's still out on Zach Taylor, but right now everything's trending in their direction. Yeah, it could be the division title favorite. Yeah, they very well could. The uh, Rams taking on the Texans. Jeez. Ooh. These are these are awful. This is an awful week of games. Like just in terms of uh, lack of competitiveness. I Do you, uh, expect- as a St. Louis native, uh, what, what's your feelings towards the Rams, by the way? Um, I was kind of apathetic and dejected when they left. Um, what really stings is that Stan Kroenke took that opportunity to not only move them to Los Angeles, um, and they were playing at the Coliseum the first couple of years. Now they got the, the swanky new SoFi thing. Um, but it not only did he move them to a better place, a better market, he upgraded the team tremendously in terms of like investing in players. Jeff Fisher's last couple of years in St. Louis was awful. It was like Sam Bradford's like broken right arm. What's, and what's so Todd funny Gurley. to me too is that apparently USC is interested in Jeff Fisher and I'm like, Oh, okay. Uh, really? Uh, what's the equivalent of going seven and nine in college football? You know, I, I know that this is an unpopular opinion because Jeff Fisher was not a great pro coach, but he does have that aura, that vibe that would translate well to a Pac-12 head coach. I, I don't know how successful. You think Jeff Fisher wants to go out there and recruit? Well, that was the whole issue. I mean, uh, people were asking this week about Mike Tomlin, which, by the way, by the way, Mike Tomlin's response to being asked if he had been, you know, contacted by USC and basically shutting down all those rumors, taking it, you know, as a sign of disrespect. Right. And then it was so out of left field. He has no ties to SC. No, but I mean, like, that's the type of guy that you want, though, if you're USC, you want someone who can not be the star of the program, not be a control freak, someone who has ties to the pros, who has maybe some NFL experience, but you're in an NFL market. Like you're in a big city. You're in what the equivalent to a, a Miami, for example, you want that, I mean, type of vibe that Jeff Fisher gives off. I mean, Chip Kelly would be another example. And he's at UCLA. Like you could have, you could be a second fiddle necessarily. You're, you're not the star of your program, which is why like a Dabo Sweeney doesn't work at USC. I know we're not supposed to go into college right now, but Mike Tomlin, I loved, and it was kind of insightful that he was like, anyone asking Sean Payton or Andy Reid these questions, which you, you know now how much these coaches how competitive it is in terms of how do they measure success? He's comparing himself to two other Super Bowl winning coaches and, and putting himself in that same arena. Um, where was I going with this? Jeff Fisher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that guy. <laughs> yeah, that guy. He'll be fine. He's fine. And in terms of the Rams, uh, 
wish him all the best. I, I mean, I was a Rams fan because my college roommate, Alex Bianchi, like made me watch all the games every Sunday and I had no problem with it. Uh, I remember them winning the Super Bowl when I was five and I thought that was cool because it was my really? town team w- winning the thing. Yeah, Dick Vermeil and uh, Kurt Warner. They're making a movie about Kurt Warner, by the way. Oh, um, yeah. With- I've seen the previews for it and they got Kurt Warner looking like he's gained 50 pounds and with these giant like Sam Bradford sleeves going on. I'm like, I don't feel very good about this movie. I think it's I think it's going to make me cry. Um, and I'm usually not a softie in terms of those, but I think the connection. You got Dennis Quaid playing Dick Vermeil. Love that. Um, I think... Dennis Quaid you know, feels guy, like America's dad. I mean, he's, he did his own comeback movie, uh, The Rookie, way back when. That was one of my favorite Great movies movie. growing up. Underrated um, sports movie, The Rookie. The, the guy who plays Kurt Warner in this movie, I'm going to look it up right quick just because I'm curious. I know him. American Underdog, the Kurt Warner story. You can you can tell this is such a twenty first century searchlight, but no, it's Lionsgate. Um, Zachary Levi. Oh yeah, it's it's Shazam, and uh, Chuck, uh, the NBC series Chuck, which he was known for. Zachary Levi. This is more entertaining than talking about the Rams Texans. I'm I'm going to see it when it comes out. I, I it comes out on Christmas Day. I love it. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Rams by 50. Rams by 50. Absolutely. Patriots and Chargers. Chargers at uh, four and two. Um, yeah, they were – the Chargers were favored in this game last year, and New England beat the crap out of them, uh, which was out of left field. Chargers uh, had a bye week last week after, you know, getting the doors blown off against the uh, Ravens. Um Look, the Chargers have uh, a decent lead in uh, that division with uh, the Chiefs, you know, two games back. Actually, the uh, Vegas has a half-game lead at five and two. Chargers right there. Um, I think Chargers take care of business here. I, I don't think it's a blowout, but uh, I would expect them to you know, win by, by about a touchdown here. I think Herbert uh, gets back into the MVP discussion uh, with, a, with a nice performance here, Luke. I do. He's so dynamic. And I love their head coach, Brandon Staley. Through the first six games of this season, he's shown that he can be really ballsy and that he trusts Herbert in close yardage situations on fourth down. I mean, they've gone for it and converted at least four fourth downs from what I've seen, maybe more at this point. But a really good defensive-minded head coach, a Sean McVay student over there uh, on the other side of L.A., but a really good dynamic for this Chargers team, and I hope, yeah, they could, could easily make the playoffs this year. Jags and Seahawks, Geno Smith is not good at football. That was awful, <laughs> having to sit through and watch him play on Monday night. It was like pulling teeth. I should have done anything else than watch Geno Smith play football. I feel like I was being tormented watching Geno Smith play. Uh, Jags at 1-5. If the Jags are ever going to win a football game, uh, you know, and I already know they got one already, I would put their chances – Pretty decent at having to face Geno. If the Jaguars are ever going to win a football game in the continental United States, this would be the week for it to happen. I think, yes. Russell Wilson was such an integral part of those championship and playoff yes, teams. Yes, he hit a lot of the Carolina. flaws in that Seahawks team. It's all becoming unraveled because he needs a pin in his middle finger, which is really sad. I think 
and he was worth the price of admission. And the Seahawks fans know this because a ticket to get into this game right now is $30. $30 to get into Lumen Field. And it's not the lowest uh, ticket price right now in the NFL, but it does show that, like, fans don't care. Fans know they're not going to score. Uh, this is going to be Trevor Lawrence's game, and it, it might not be close. Lumen Field. That's a funny name. Ugh, I mean, they've gone through so many gross names. I mean, it Ugh. sounds like something else, though, you know. <laughs> yeah. New from KY. Lumen Special Joe. <laughs> yeah. Washington and Denver. Denver, a uh, three-point favorite here. They start out red hot, 3-0. They've lost four straight. Washington, 2-5. and five. They're a dumpster fire. Um, man, uh, I, I look at Denver here uh, with, with Teddy and company. They should win this game, but I don't think this one's going to be appealing to the eyes here. It is not. It's uh, offenses that tend to run anemic. Washington is, is very much lost, and they're going to not have Terry McLaurin, or he's questionable right now. A lot of their weapons on offense, kind of a big question mark right now. And when in doubt, always pull for Teddy Roosevelt. Liked him in Carolina. Liked him in Minnesota. Like him here. Bucks and Saints, that game, America's Game of the Week on Fox. Really? Bucks six and one, yeah. Saints really? uh, four and two. Jameis Winston taking on his old team for uh, the very first time here uh, in this game. Uh I'll look at this game here and, you know, Jameis Winston, what Jameis Winston are we going to get? What Saints team are we going to see? If they play to what they're capable of, we should have a good game on Sunday, Luke. Or it could go the complete opposite and, and do what they did last week in Seattle and, and rely entirely on Alvin Kamara to, to move them up the field, which – And that would go poorly, yes. Tampa Bay would, would snuff that out right quick. Um, th that's been New Orleans' thing the whole year is they've been super inconsistent. They, they blow out – uh, Green Bay in week one, pretty much you know, the extended preseason at that point, but then comes so terribly short against the, the Giants, for example. And it's, yeah, it's really, it's really weird to see this unfold in the post Drew Brees era. How does Sean Payton guide his team? But to his credit so far, for him too. Cowboys take on the Vikings. I feel weird about the Cowboys being five and one, but here they are. And the Vikings at uh, three and three here. This Vikings team isn't going anywhere. The Cowboys with Dak, another MVP candidate we're talking about here. Um, here's the thing when you look at this Cowboys team. It's the quarterback. It's the offensive coordinator. It's the defensive coordinator. The weakest link on this entire team <laughs> is Mike McCarthy. Uh, it's really obvious to the common man at this point. That's all it is. Yes, they are doing all of this despite Mike McCarthy here. I'm actually impressed that – Mike McCarthy can just get away with standing around with his stupid Austin Powers speeches, and this team can be five and one at this point. This how D Dallas does in, in this Mike McCarthy era, however many seasons it lasts, whether it's a couple more or however long, is can Mike McCarthy adapt? Can things like clock management and personnel like Come, come into play, like be improved no. to the point where they're a deep playoff cont contender. You say no. I'm not sure. I'm willing to give it a chance. And add to this credit right now, you give Kellen Moore the credit and as such that it's properly due. It's America's best offense right now. As when things are going good, head coach has got to take some credit for that. I have an idea, Luke. I'm curious what you yeah. think about this. 
Kellen Moore, I think it's well on his way to being a head coach somewhere next year. If I'm Jerry Jones, and Jerry might actually be the type of guy to do this, I would fire Mike McCarthy to keep Kellen Moore and make him head coach. If they had faced any sort of adversity this season, I think that's warranted. I don't think this is the time to do it because something is working right now. They're responding yes. well. I don't think you can afford to lose Kellen Moore. Then. Eh. <laughs> if they if they lose, I mean, you're, you're talking about another Jason Garrett situation. And, and I don't know if, if that's the brightest, most, you know, apt, socially conscious move you could make right, right now. I tell Kellen Moore, I mean, you could pay him pay him as much as you want. I think that's fair, but I'd, if they lose three games in a row, talk to me and, and, and we'll, we'll figure it out. But oh, as of right I'm, now, they could go to the, you know, divisional round of the playoff and I'll still sit, make the same case. I'm riding with Kellen Moore. I think that you had to do whatever it takes to keep Kellen Moore there in Dallas. Uh, and with what he's done with Dak, it's been impressive. Giants and the chiefs. We kind of talked about it there at the beginning. Uh, I mean, it's a must-win game for Kansas City. Uh, you know, th- this one, this is a-, a great chance for the Chiefs to sharpen things up, get back on track, try to get in the playoff picture. I think the division uh, championship is out of the realm of possibility right now, or at least they have a lot of work to do if they're going to get back to that point here. But if you're going to do anything, you got to get started somewhere, and Monday's a good chance. Right. and. Look, look in the other direction. If they do struggle with New York or, or, or lose Ooh. to the Giants, it's it becomes more than a Patrick Mahomes need help thing. It's a, it's a heads are about to roll type thing. Yes. The, they'll be fine. The Giants are such a mess. They're so inconsistent. They're so undisciplined. Um, and if not for Washington, would be the worst team in their division. But that, that NFC East really is a tire fire. Yeah. My goodness. By the way, we talked about ticket prices. Can you guess what the lowest ticket price is as of this recording? So I actually bought tickets today for this game. So How much bet? I, uh, I paid a little extra money to get decent seats. Um, I paid for four people. I got three, three of my friends going with me. Uh, each of us, we ended up getting uh, end zone seats, like row 12, upper deck, for like 91 bucks a piece. And wow. so the cheapest that I saw though, was like, you know, nosebleed upper deck, uh, earlier day for like 70. Okay. Um, they're, they're down to 60 for that game right now. Um, first of all, thanks. Damn for it. Yeah. I should have bought the tickets later. Yeah. Um, appreciate the invite by the way, but no, in terms of the whole NFL, you wouldn't have come um, anyway. <laughs> that it's a Monday night. Oh, I, got, I, I work remotely. Um, in terms of a, a, around the league, do you want to guess which one is the lowest? Uh, it's got to be the Jags game, right? You would think 30 bucks. However, it is not. You know who really doesn't want to see football on Sunday? Who's the that? Houston, the city of Houston, when they know they're going to get killed by the Rams, $16 to get into NRG Stadium. That's not bad. That's perfect. It's summer baseball, dog days of summer. They're saving their money for the uh, Astros tickets. <sighs> Bang on those trash cans, baby. Oh, for the trash can. 
Uh, speaking of the trash can, that's a great transition, Luke. I like that. Uh, World Series. As we're taping this right now, it looks like the Astros are on their way to a uh, win, even if the series one game apiece. And I, as I say that, just watch the, the Braves are going to rally and end up winning this game. Um, but nonetheless, Astros uh, with up seven and two, tying the series at one game apiece. Um, the Braves took care of business. They needed to get one in uh, Houston. It looks like they're uh, going to do just that, Luke. Uh, what do you make of what you've seen from this series so far? I think going into this series, I thought hands down, this was going to be Braves only because I firsthand seen Dusty Baker coach and manage a team before and does not translate to seven game series in October. Um, he had the best hitter of a generation in San Francisco, uh, Barry Bonds and a stacked Giants team. And they fumbled the bag against Anaheim back in 02. I, I don't like to use that. You can't teach an old dog new tricks type thing, but some of the lineup decisions and moves that he's made do not translate well. He's always run a pitching staff very ragged. I could see why they got off to a bad start last night or in game one, and I expect to see them lose this in six or seven games. I think it's a good Astros team, but I think the Braves are a better managed um, more balanced roster, um, notwithstanding the loss of Charlie Morton, which was tragic to see, heroic, but tragic. Yeah, uh, that, that was a, a big loss for this team. And, uh, you know, it, it's so interesting to me that I don't know if in my lifetime, Luke, that there has ever been a World Series where the – you know, the good guys versus the villain is so obvious and, and not involving like the Yankees. Obviously, the Yankees are going to be the villain every time or, you know, the Red Sox are going to be the villain you know, most of the time here. I mean, it's very clear with Houston's history in Atlanta getting there for the first time in a generation uh, who America's team is in, a, in this World Series. Uh, the, you know, rooting on you've seen Atlanta, if they pull this off, would be, uh, be quite the story. A lot of people would be pleased to see Houston not get this done. Yeah, the Braves have such a rich history, too, from being the team of the 90s, like you mentioned, to, to being a nationally watched team over TBS for 20-ish years. I mean, so many people, not just in the Southeast, but across the country, love the Braves, and for good reason. They, they've always, I mean, minus that rebuilding patch they went through the early 2010s, they've all, or mid-2010s, rather, they've been, I mean, such a relatable club. I I, just, I remember in my day about uh, two years ago when I was in, in the clubhouse down at Bush Stadium and was doing my MLB job, uh, there was one game that the Cardinals played against Atlanta and it went into extra innings. And my job at the time, this was before the Astro scandal really became a public thing, but MLB was making sure that we were keeping our eyes on the players and staff making sure that they weren't watching live feed and directing signs and signals in real time. They could go back and watch their at-bats after the fact and, and break down game film, but not real-time live feeds because of the Astros. But I remember this one game. I remember it for a couple of reasons. Um, but one reason was it went to extra innings, and I guess the team had a rule, the Braves did, that they couldn't get their post-game meal or all eat you know, or eat their, what was given to them for the road, for the bus until, you know, everyone had their meal. So like players who were benched or players who had already been taken out of the game and were in the clubhouse 
couldn't eat anything necessarily. And there wasn't anything else in the clubhouse to eat at that point for some drinks in the refrigerator, but nothing really tangible. And Ozzy Albies had been taken out of the game. And so he's sitting there like 10, 11th inning. And he's like, I'm so hungry. Everyone in this room, kill everyone in this room. Just like seething, like jumping up and down, teeth chattering. And he turns to me and he looks me dead in the eyes. He says, starting with you. <laughs> like, like totally, like kidding. Like totally in jest. But like this five foot six, like macho man, like high energy shortstop was like ready to tear me limb from limb because he wanted a salad. And uh, I've always thought about that. I got suspended from TikTok for making my bio. Ozzy Albies sent me a death threat once, which is accurate. But um, wait, 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 you get suspended for that? I did. You can't make any references to death or any sort of claims like that on TikTok or at least on your bio. Really? Uh, How long were you suspended for? It was like four days. I couldn't update like my my bio or or post anything necessarily. It was like, you violated the terms of service. I'm like, okay, I won't make any more references to death. (laughs) Yes. That's all I do. (laughs) Yeah. Death, Death Luke. Yeah. Golly. Um, you know, when I look at the players involved uh, in this series, you know, as, as a Royals guy, I'm rooting on Jorge Soler. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I know you're a Cubs fan. And, you know, one of my buddies uh, who I work with, Ryan Pierce at Local News Live, he, he brought up an interesting point to me that when you looked at the Royals team that won the World Series and then the Cubs team that followed, Jorge Soler was, was like the one guy in that bunch that didn't get a ring. And now here's his chance. He's leading off, you know, the leadoff hitter for Atlanta and such. I liked him, what he did in Kansas City. Started out rough, but things got better later on. Um, I would love to see Jorge end up with a good series here and get a ring here. I think that'd be good, a good story for him. And seems like a lot of the country is uh, excited for Freddie Freeman. Seems like there's a, a good chunk of fans that, that want to see Freddie uh, get, get a ring here too. Freddie Freeman is one of those, like, power hitting like salt of the earth like elite first baseman who who you just thought in the back of your mind you worried was never going to get a ring or get his due um like todd helton edgar martinez like really good like i mean edgar was more of a dh in his day but really solid guy and you want that for the full freeman family he's such a great ambassador for the city of atlanta and for that whole team, Jorge Soler, like you mentioned, I think a lot of Cubs fans, when you put Jorge Soler and World Series in the same sentence, you think of the guy who like didn't run out of fly ball in Atlanta. It was game five or game three or something. And like the ball was dropped and he ended up on like, he could have had an inside the park home run and just like trotted to first before realizing, oh crap, I can go further. Um, also, I mean, Cubs fans, for example, uh, Jock Peterson, he's not doing so great tonight, but uh, he's been a clubhouse guy and a spark, really, that Atlanta needed when they had to essentially replace their whole outfield and uh, midseason just due to injuries and losing Cunha and all that. But you, you want to see Jock succeed. Dansby Swanson, I know people who know him just from having lived in Knoxville and having close ties to Atlanta and friends who, who are from Atlanta. So I know people who went to school with Dansby, who like Dansby a lot, say he's a salt of the earth guy. So it would be something else. And again, it is, it is the world against the Astros only because major league baseball did not punish the Astros. They punished Jeff Luno and they 
told AJ Hinch to go get another job. And I guess they did punish the Astros by making Dusty Baker their manager. But again, the personnel was such that here they are again. And really, they the Astros made the country sympathize with the Los Angeles Dodgers. That's hard are, to do. Who are the epitome of like what baseball fans should dislike. Like they should hate the team that, that covers up all their problems with money, that plays in the flashy big city market. Like people should like unite against Dodgers, the Yankees, and when they do get obnoxious, like the Cubs and the Phillies too. Like th- those teams should be like beat down all the time, c- celebrate their downfall. Um, Cubs are already, you know, meeting those needs. But I think they just, they never, they gave the Astros a slap on the wrist and that was it. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right about that. So we'll continue to uh, follow that series and uh, be covering it here on the uh, Jones board as it looks like that the uh, Astros are on their way to tie it up at uh, one game apiece. The uh, rest of the way, as uh, we wrap up before we uh, move on, bring in John Hoover here. Uh, Luke, uh, how do you see this series playing out here? I, I, I lean towards, I hate saying it, but, the Astros are the better team. I know that you're not big on Dusty Baker in a seven-game series in this format, but I would I would still lean towards their talent, you know, level, even despite how well the Braves have played here. I would still put my money on Houston. Where would you put your money if, if you were a betting man here? I'd put my money on the Bravos. I, I, just, I can't do it. I, I know how this plays out. I know how it ends. <laughs> I've seen this story too many times, man. Every team, every team that was like, on the brink of contention and hired Dusty Baker, Chicago Cubs, 2003, the Cincinnati Reds when they picked up the, the breadcrumbs there, the Nationals who ended up winning World Series after he left, and uh, now we're seeing the Astros oh, and the Giants too. So, uh, again, like – How does he keep up, getting all these jobs? It, it, I, I really don't know. I think – I mean, Houston may have been incentivized in some way to, to, to reach into to that candidate pool because he is like 70 – like he he's tried and true and like 24 seasons as a manager, he's successful. He's a great regular season manager. He can, he is a clubhouse guy. And like having read and having listened to people like Doug Glanville, like veteran players who played under Dusty, like he is a great dude. Like he will keep everyone in that clubhouse happy. But in terms of winning when it matters, I think that, I mean, he's been exposed a number of times. I don't think he's a bad guy. I just think, as a as a manager with these stakes, it's not going to work out. He could prove me wrong. And again, Baker, great player, invented the high five. If if you don't know that, um, amazing, amazing legacy to be left. Yeah, I mean, he'll go into the Hall of Fame, but I don't I don't see it happening. Prove yeah. me wrong. Prove me wrong. We'll see. Uh, coming up next, John Hoover of the Sports Animal in Tulsa. SI Suter is going to join us. Also, later on, we'll have our picks against the spread presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. We're uh, going to have our Big 12 breakdown. We'll have our Tom Fuller story of the week. All that more as we continue. Stay with us here at the Jones. Joining us now here at the Jones Sport this week from the Sports Animal in Tulsa, also the publisher of Sports Illustrated All Sooners. It is John E. Hoover, who is back on the Jones Port once again. Hoop, always a pleasure talking to you, man. I loved reading your columns when I was growing up, and now we're colleagues, and always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. What's going on? I love to hear that, Tyler. Uh, 
uh, they read my stuff as a young man and now we're, now we're colleagues. That to me is what uh, the best thing I can do is, uh, you know, continue to do what I do, but also do it alongside people who grew up reading my stuff. I mean, I'm getting up there in years now, Tyler. So uh, just the fact that I've had some tiny, tiny little influence on, on, you know, great professionals, like great young professionals like yourself gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling, man. I didn't always agree with you all the time, who sometimes <laughs> that I read your stuff and I was shaking my head, but it was always <laughs> intriguing. So nonetheless, uh, glad to have you with us, man. And uh, first off, before we dive into the business at hand, I got to ask you, you got this new show with, uh, with the sports animal. You're covering the Sooners all the time with Sports Illustrated. You're a busy guy these days. Yeah, uh, All Sooners keeps me busy. I'm the, I'm the publisher there. Uh, I've got a couple of guys who work for me. So uh, our, our staff is growing, getting bigger. We're covering, we cover basically everything. But as you know, Tyler, especially in the state of Oklahoma, it's football, 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 followed by football, then basketball, and actually followed by softball if you're with Oklahoma. Right. But uh, uh, big news on the softball front today, Patty Gasso gets $9 million from Loves to build a new softball stadium. So that's huge. Uh, you're right, man. It just never stops. And then uh, Kevin Ward gave me a call a few weeks ago, a month or so ago, and said, uh, would you like to be the 9 to 11 host on the Sports Animal? So, yeah, joining up, joining forces with Sam Mays. As you know, he's got a uh, radio show in Oklahoma City in the afternoons. Now he does radio in Tulsa in the morning. So he stays busy. I stay busy. It's a blast, man, covering sports. It's what, that's what we signed up for is to cover sports and, and enjoy doing it, do it for a living, and, and stay busy 24-7, it seems. Yeah, uh, for sure. That's uh, that's great. Certainly happy for you, Hoove, with uh, all you're doing, man. And uh, this Oklahoma Sooners team at 8-0, number four in the AP poll. What do you think of this OU team with where they're at right now, Hoove? Tyler, I, I can't, you know, we talk about this for two hours every day in the mornings uh, on the Sports Animal Tulsa, and I just, we just, I asked that question. What do we think about this team? We had Jesse Newell on from the KC Star to help us talk about OSU Kansas, but we certainly talked a lot about OU Kansas as well. I'm telling you, I don't know what to make of this team. I don't know what to make uh, of a team that goes to Lawrence, Kansas as a 38-point favorite and has to have a couple of miracle uh, Superman plays by their freshman, true freshman quarterback to save them, to pull their backsides out of the fire to beat Kansas. Now, they ended up winning by double digits, but that was a game where Kansas led in the fourth quarter, uh, led 10-0 at halftime. You've seen a Lincoln-Riley team shut out for the first time since he's been at Oklahoma. Uh, the defense is playing worse and worse and worse every week, it seems. What are we to make of this team? They're 8 no, they're undefeated. They have found a way to win every week, it seems. They play a close game, but at the same time, it's like, when are you going to start acting like the number four team in the country? Right. It feels like, Hoove, that one of two things is going to happen. Either this team is going to get exposed by somebody, and that might not even be to the college football playoff, or that their best football is still ahead of them and they're going to turn a corner of some sorts. Which yeah. direction do you lean as far as where this team is going to go? Are they more likely to hit a wall or are they more likely to kick it in gear? Yeah, that's a question worth asking because, uh, you know, you've got a Texas Tech team coming to Norman this week, Texas Tech under new leadership under Sonny Cumbie after they cut ties with Matt Wells, which surprised me a little bit, just two and a half, se three and a half seasons into his stay. Uh, so, you're, so you're looking at it and you're saying, um, what's Texas Tech going to look like? 
they're going to come out with Sonny Cumbie, you know, the former Texas Tech quarterback, and throw it 85 times if they get an opportunity. That's something that uh, we just don't know what the identity of that team's going to be. And then, you know, you take a look at the schedule. After the open date, which is something they're not – they've played nine consecutive games, and they have been angling, talking about this open date since September, right? So they're this is a team that's beat up. They've got a lot of injuries. They're tired. They're worn down. They're looking forward to this open date more than any team has ever looked forward to an open date that I've ever covered, Tyler. And they say it's the first time since – I think 1995, Howard Schnellenberger's one season that they've played this many consecutive games on Saturdays. Well, look ahead past the open date. You've got Baylor, you've got uh, you've got Iowa State, and you've got Oklahoma State to finish the season. This team, this Oklahoma team, based on what we've seen on the field, okay, not in the rankings, but on the field, they play three consecutive ranked teams coming up after the open date. They could finish 12 and 0. They could finish 9 and 3. They could finish anywhere in between. I, I would not be surprised, seriously, to see them lose all three games or any of the three or win all three and finish 12 and 0 and go to the college football playoff, Big 12 champions again. And maybe they get it figured out. Maybe they turn a corner or maybe they get to the playoff and get it handed to them again like they have. Yeah, uh, that very well could happen. Uh, we, we don't know what team is uh, going to show up at this point. Uh, Caleb Williams took over as the uh, starting quarterback just a couple weeks ago and was phenomenal coming out of the gates from that Texas game. Tell me about Caleb Williams. Uh, what do you make of what this guy has done and and uh, the way that he's elevated this uh, Oklahoma offense, in particular that TCU performance? I got to tell you, Tyler, it's been pretty special. Um, he, he reminds a lot of people uh, as a true freshman. He reminds a lot of people of guys like Adrian Peterson, who, who came in and was the best player on the team the minute he walked out there. Well, you know, as a quarterback, you don't get those same opportunities that a running back gets back in 2004. It's a different world. It's, you know, social media and, and transfer portal. Lots going on now in college football that Adrian Peterson never had to deal with. Well, Halfway through the season, here we are sitting here saying a true freshman shall lead them. It's He's the best player on the team. He's got an unbelievable arm. He's got good accuracy. He's got, you know, the ability to run. He's strong. He runs through tackles. He's a quarterback who runs through tackles. Uh, he, he, you could draw a lot of parallels, comparisons to quarterbacks past. But where he stands out, and I'll, I'll say this two different ways. Where he stands out is his leadership. He came on campus as a, uh, a what was essentially a high school senior because his high school senior season back in Washington, D.C. got canceled. So he didn't have a senior season of, of football. He hasn't played football since his junior year of high school, which is incredible. So he comes to Oklahoma. He says, I'm going to enroll early. I'm going to move my family to Oklahoma. Okay, they're established in Washington, D.C., but they've moved to OU to Norman. Shocking, right? So uh, he, he when he does that, he hosts a summer get-together. They called it the Sooner Summit. I don't know where they came up with the name, but he was basically the catalyst for bringing in something like 23 guys in the 2021 class, the 2022 class, and the 23 class. A lot of them have committed to Oklahoma. A few of them signed with Oklahoma, and, and some of them are still being recruited by Oklahoma. The leadership that he exudes is just – it's next level. It's literally – it's like Peyton Manning-esque, seriously. He, he's a guy that just 
when he walks in a room, players gravitate to him. Uh, and it's, it's kind of unexplainable, you know, the, the gravitas, the moxie that a guy like that has it's Baker Mayfield is what it is. It's he walks in and everybody wants to be around him because he's, he's Caleb Williams. I don't know what, I don't know what, how you get that quality, but leadership is off the charts. And then I'll tell you this, Tyler, when we covered the elite 11 uh, finals last year in Nashville, last summer, my deputy editor at the time, his name's Parker Thune. He came back from Nashville. He's since gone on to 24 seven sports, but he came back and said, John, I'm not a prisoner of the moment. I'm not subject to hyperbole. This kid is going to take Spencer Rattler's job. And I said, come on, Parker, come on. That's a, this is when he was still in the summer camps before he ever got to Oklahoma. Yeah. So Parker saw something in him immediately. Everybody who watches him play sees something in him. And now we're seeing what everybody else has seen, which is he's truly a special player. Well, and you look at the way that the players rallied around him uh, with that Texas game. And the fan base was already calling for him a couple of weeks prior and such too. I mean, you, you can't teach this type of stuff. That's what amazes me. For a guy that age at 18 years old, he's doing things at that position on and off the field you can't teach. Yeah, who who would have ever thought of all the quarterback drills you do, of all the, the, the timing and the throws and the leadership, everything you do as a quarterback, and it's a big plate. There's a lot on your plate as a quarterback. Who would have thought that you one of the plays, one of the biggest plays of your life to up to age 18 or 19 or whatever he is, would be reaching in and grabbing the football away from your teammate on fourth down after he's been stuffed and spinning forward and getting the first down. A five-yard run is going to go down in Sooner history. Think about that. Sooner football history. It's going to go down as one of the most amazing plays we've ever seen because you're not supposed to do that stuff. And you're certainly not supposed to do it as a, as a freshman to take literally take the game into your hands and win it with something that's never been done before. Where does that come from? It's a, it's a special quality, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, so now I, I got to know with, with Spencer Rattler as QB2 now, what does his future hold? How has he dealt with this situation of things being handed over to uh, Caleb Williams here? Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know this, Tyler, because it's Kansas, we spent all last week all last week asking the question, when does Spencer Rattler get in the Kansas game? When, right, when I said the same on the thing field? on your show, right. Absolutely. Yeah. How much, when does, because if you're Lincoln Riley, you've got to balance this. You've got to ask, you've got to get him ready. Do you put him in when it's too much? You put him in for a specific package? Come on. They didn't even get in the game. The game was, was went down to like literally the last possession. He did not get in the game. So it's a, it's a kind of a, a, uh, an iffy sort of tenuous little situation that, that Lincoln Riley has to navigate. He's got a five-star quarterback who's a backup to another five-star quarterback. So um, I think you do have to deal, if you're Lincoln Riley, you do have to consider uh, the kid's ego. Moving forward this season, you certainly, especially the way Caleb Williams runs the football uh, we've seen things happen, you know, Jason White, Sam Bradford, some of the best quarterbacks in OU history have been injured, lost for the season. Uh, this, that's something that could certainly happen at any point in time, because as I said, it's college football. Uh, so you have to keep, if you're Lincoln Riley, you have to keep Spencer Rattler engaged, feeling uh, valued, feeling like he's 
you know, not only part of the team, he's got that C on his chest, right? He's still a captain, but how do you keep him tuned in and, and ready to contribute at a, at a moment's notice uh, in the Texas game, for instance, you saw Spencer come in and throw that two-point conversion. Well, Lincoln Riley went out of his way to talk about what an important play that two-point conversion is, the most important play of the game. A lot of people disagree with him, myself included, but it was a big play. It wasn't the most important play, but basically he's saying Spencer did so good after he got benched and coming in and throwing that two-point conversion. Sure, yeah. That's kind of how Lincoln Riley's approaching the rest of this season, I think. Yeah, if I was Lincoln Riley, I would call up uh... – Rattler's former teammate Jalen Hurts and ask him, you know, to talk to Spencer about how he's dealt with this and such. Do you yeah. see this? Uh, is this very similar, this circumstance, compared to what Jalen went through at Alabama with, with Tua and such? I think so. I think that's fair. Uh, our deputy editor, Ryan Chapman, said the same thing. He, he's got a guy that he can – Spencer actually backed up Jalen Hurts uh, that right. 2019 season. Spencer's got him on speed dial if he wants him. Hey, Jalen, how did you handle it when you left – Alabama, when, when you lost your job at Alabama, you know, Jalen Hurts came in and won the SEC championship for Alabama after Tua hurt his ankle. Well, he was still t- dialed in. He was still a part of the team. I think there's a little bit, maybe because one was a coach's kid and the other wasn't. Uh, the other was kind of a Johnny five-star who had everything go his way and had his own show on the Netflix QB one series. And he's not saying he's been handed everything. He certainly worked for what he's gotten, but at the same time, things have come easy to him versus Jalen hurts. Like I said, coach's kid chooses Alabama. You see him after he throws an interception or, or loses a fumble or gets sacked or whatever he goes after the game, he goes to the gym and literally works out his frustrations uh, works, works. And I don't know if he's punishing himself or whatever it is, but Spencer Rattler goes and, you know, he, he's got an NIL, he's got about five NIL deals. Uh, it's just a different approach, a different mentality. So one guy stayed engaged, bounced back, helped his team, literally won his team the SEC championship, helped his team win a national championship. The other guy loses his job midseason, hasn't really been heard from since. We're wondering, does – Spencer Rattler have that kind of special makeup to come back into a game and help his team win. I think he probably does, mm-hmm. but it's worth it's worth asking, worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, let's uh, let's look at the other positions. Uh, that offensive line has been so up and down this year. The yeah. running back uh, spot uh, they they've been shorthanded for uh, the most part. What what do you think of uh, of that group of the offensive line and those those running backs there? Do you think they've potentially found something where does those those positions stand right now it's a good question because they it looked like they found something against tcu they had their best game of the season the offensive line did against tcu and then they go to kansas and you see guys standing around you see guys pulling on a on a goal line red zone type play they're pulling they're doing the guard tackle pull where both guys pull and they both go out there and stand around and kind of look around and bump into each other meanwhile the running backs get hit in the backfield it's like what, what, where's your progress? What Didn't you guys figure that out? This has been a staple. This isn't a new play. This has been a staple of Lincoln Riley's offense. Uh, they're trying some different combinations. They're, they've had a couple of injuries here and there, but worked guys in. The guys who come in play better than the starters did sometimes. It's It's been kind of a mess. Uh, Bill, Bill Bebenbo has the reputation of being the best offensive line and one of the best offensive line coaches in the country. We keep waiting for him to get it figured out to get the blueprint 
to these guys because they're operating right now. And they, it's like they don't have a, that blueprint, whatever it is. They had some movement in the preseason. They moved to right guard to right tackle. They bring in a new center for a Creed Humphrey. Uh, he lasted about three and a half games. They bring in a sophomore to replace him. It's been, you know, movement. They've got a guy who never played right tackle before playing right tackle last week. Kansas. It's just a, it's, it's just an interesting kind of a, a little bit of a mess. They've had penalty problems up on the offensive line. You saw uh, guys jumping off sides, personal fouls, uh, false starts. It's, it's holding penalties. And it's like, at what point, you know, we're, we're eight games into the season going on nine. At what point does this team figure it out on the offensive line? Cause it's been, it's been sketchy every, every week. Now the running back situation yeah, Kennedy Brooks, a two-time thousand-yard runner. He's probably going to become the fourth guy in school history. Is it four, or he'll be he'll be the fourth guy in school history to go for a thousand yards three times in his career? Just a fantastic player. I feel Behind like nobody him. nationally talks about Kennedy no. either. That he's so forgotten. No. He's such a good talent. He's such an underrated talent. And then behind him, you've got Eric Gray, the t- Tennessee transfer. He's one of three transfers Oklahoma has from Tennessee this year. Eric Gray's a very skilled player. I don't know that he's the feature back, but what you've seen out of the Oklahoma backfield the last three games is, especially since the Texas game, you've seen them become more uh, emboldened, more empowered to carry the football, to run with power, to run with authority. And part of the reason for that, I think, is because they got a guy literally right before the Texas game, got a guy eligible. He was ineligible, Marcus Major, Oklahoma City kid, was ineligible to start the season. You think, well, he's out for the season. He got some things right. He took the right classes. He, he, you know, got his progress toward degree and GPA all figured out. Everything's in line. All of a sudden, he's eligible midseason. It's like, holy cow. That has allowed Lincoln Riley to say, okay, we no longer have to split carries, 11 carries for this guy and nine carries for that guy. We can throw caution to the wind because we now have a third running back. Tyler, they had two scholarship running backs. Uh, for half the season. So now they've got three, and that gives you a little bit of cushion there, I think, and that's why you've seen an uptick in the uh, in the play of the running backs this year. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. John Hoover, the sports animal in Tulsa, also SI Sooners joining us here at the Jones Sport this week. Hoover, when I look at that receiving court, a lot of talent there, but I find myself asking this question almost every single game. I look at Stogner. This is a guy that's got so much talent so much capabilities, and we know about the history of all these great tight ends OU's had over the years. Why on earth are they not getting the ball to Steigner more, especially in the red zone? Yeah, we've been asking that question to some degree with great frequency this season. Why not more Stogner? Um, he's one of three guys that they play in this kind of interchangeable uh, X-factor type position. They call it H-back. So they've got uh, a couple of seniors in Braden Willis, and Jeremiah Hall. Stogner is a junior now, but he's a proven talent. Stogner, he's a big six foot six, 240, 250 pound, soon to be 260 pound tight end. He's going to have a future in the NFL. Tyler, what happened with him is he had a, he got hit last year's KU game, it was 62 to nine. Uh, the worst thing that came out of that for Oklahoma was he got hit on the knee uh, by, a, by a, one of the DBs and uh, turned out that he you know, it's, it's weird. It was a bruise. 
but his body like sent it's it's a weird i'm not a medical guy so so forgive me but it's essentially <laughs> his body sent too many antibodies to fight the bruise thinking it was an infection and it actually created an infection and he got a strep infection in his knee not a staph infection but a strep infection in his knee uh, it, it, that became something where at some point they were worried, are we going to have to amputate this knee? Not, is he ever going to play football again? It was really bad. They got in there, they had emergency surgery. He was in extreme pain. So basically long story short, he lost 35 pounds. He was in the hospital for nine days. He's still coming back from that. That's what uh, Lincoln Riley talked about it just on Tuesday, that he's still, getting healthy, getting strong, getting fit, all the stuff that goes into playing high-level B1 tight end, he's still bouncing back from that very, very debilitating and scary injury that he had last year. Yeah, that's uh, that's wild. That's uh, some great info there. Defensively, going into 2021, it seemed like that everyone was saying, okay, Oklahoma's finally got the defense figured out, that here they are, they can compete with the rest of the best. <laughs> We haven't seen that this season. What is going on with that defense? Uh, it, it's it's similar to what we've talked about in years prior. There was so much hype going into 2021. We've yet to see that Oklahoma defense live up to what the expectation was. It's It's been very mysterious. When you, when you think about uh, the, the, the first few games, you know, you think about Nebraska and you think about West Virginia and, and games like that. This defense was playing great. They were in the backfield on every play. They were knocking quarterbacks down. They were sacking guys. They were tackles for loss on every other play. It seemed like they were extremely disruptive, and it all stemmed from better play, better, higher quality play from the defensive line. Simple as that. That has all gone away. That has all gone away. Injuries have piled up in the secondary, and you've seen a lot of uh, you've seen a lot of freshmen, true freshmen. Two true freshmen started the game in the secondary for the Sooners against Kansas. Uh, you've seen uh, a lot of uh, inexperienced guys, guys who are career kind of journeyman backups, right? Guys who are just special teams guys for their whole career. Now you're seeing them get on the field. And the the thing about uh, the safety position, they had two safeties who neither one are elite players, but they both know what's going on. They're try-hard guys. They've got big hearts. Delaren Turner Yell and Pat Fields, Tulsa Union kid, right? Um, Pat Fields was just nominated for the, or just a finalist for the Campbell Trophy, which is the academic Heisman. I don't know that there's many, not a whole ton of academic Heismans coming out of the SEC going into the first round of the NFL draft. You know what I mean? Right. Pat Fields is, like I said, a tryhard guy. He's a great kid, super student, uh, terrific leader. He's five foot ten, and that's what they've had out of their safety play this year. Not blaming anything on that, other than to simply say. Uh, that's those are your best players in the secondary. A couple of five ten guys who are seniors. Um, Delaren Turner Yell's been hurt the last few weeks, so he's Pat Fields has been kind of fighting that fight by himself. Yeah, you know, I like Turner Yell guys, too. That, that dude can play absolutely. And they've they've run guys in and out of the secondary, tried different combinations, shifted guys to position. But Tyler, it all starts up front, and the 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 four guys that they've got up front, three of whom are all Big Twelve, one of whom is an, a preseason All American. They've just, they've, I don't know if they've uh, maxed out on their reps. I don't know if they're not fit. I don't know if their minds are wandering, looking at the NFL draft. I don't know. But they've just not had much impact. And then the big thing on the defense for the entire season, from really start to finish, or start to at least week eight, week nine, has been very, very average play 
by three really athletic, three really experienced linebackers, uh, David Aguebu and uh, Deshaun White, Brian Osamoa. Those guys are guys who have been on this Oklahoma defense for two and three years, made a ton of plays in the past. They're letting guys go. You saw Deuce Vaughn running uncovered. You saw him and other running backs throughout the, throughout the season just getting open underneath, getting open deep, running up seams. And there, there's just – it's like Alex Grinch at one point said, guys, believe it or not, we do have a plan for covering the back out of the backfield. Uh, you just can't tell it right now. And it's, a, it's all on the linebackers. Um, so, so it's been extremely underwhelming play at all three levels by Oklahoma, especially in the last few weeks. You mentioned the schedule earlier, the four games remaining in the regular season here for OU. Of those four, what do you think is going to be the toughest? Probably Baylor would be my guess because it's at it's in Waco. Uh, we saw what happened down there two years ago where that we're a pretty good team and Jalen Hurts led the team went down there and fell behind twenty eight to three. We all know what happens when it's twenty eight to three, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, OU came back, bounced back, uh, won that game. Um, they probably shouldn't have won the game, but they made plays at the end on offense and defense and special teams made plays as well. They took that game away from Baylor. So um, I, I just think Baylor's right now looking at a, 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 the most complete maybe offensively. Gary Bohannon's throwing the ball all over the yard. He's doing a great job. He's got good receivers. He's got a powerful running game. Uh, and then the Baylor defense coached by the Dave Aranda, you know, he's got that thing turned around. He's, it's looking after a couple of lean years or one lean year for sure. It's looking a lot, a lot more like the Matt Rule defense that he had back in 2019. So um, Baylor looks legit good. Um, I think Oklahoma can win that game, but I think that would be the most challenging. And then how good is Iowa State? You know, Iowa State was the seventh ranked team in the country coming into the season. They've got 19 starters back. They've got three future NFL guys on the offensive line, NFL guys at running back, tight end, probably quarterback, receiver, uh, all across the defense. They've got uh, all Big 12 talent here and there, all Americans here and there. And they come out and they lose two of their first three games. It's like, Iowa State, what are you doing? Well, last week against Oklahoma State, I think we saw Iowa State, Matt Campbell, and those guys have turned a corner. They've figured some things out. So that also looms. And then Bedlam is the last week of the season. I think Mike Gundy has a Lincoln Riley problem, just like he had a Bob Stoops problem. But that's also a quality Oklahoma State defense. And as you know, defense travels. Defense also plays well at home. And that one's in Stillwater. Mm. Yeah, that's a very good point. Hove, uh, last thing before we wrap up here. Where is Oklahoma at on this transition to the SEC right now? And it would seem that going in 2022 is very unlikely right now. And I can't imagine OU wants to hang around when these new members uh, come aboard the Big 12 Conference either. Where's everything stand at the moment? Oh, Tyler, it's 2025 for sure, right? All the contracts say it has to be 2025. All All the lawyers that are going to be involved, they're all saying the right thing right now, which is 2025. It's not going to be 2025. I really think it'll happen in 23. Uh, I've said 22 in the past. Um, I'm not sure if all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed to make it happen in 22. But here's the thing. You know this. I asked you this on my radio show. Being a lame duck member of the Big 12 Conference is just really uncomfortable for everybody. Bob Bowlesby at Big 12 Basketball Media Days last week popped off a couple of times about membership and his relationships with, uh, you know, Joe Castiglione, for instance, the athletic director at OU, and, you know, how he feels about Texas uh, being – 
you know, he, he, he didn't, he was confused about why they are leaving and he just didn't understand. And we all know why they're leaving and he knows, and they've said it, they've made it very clear why they're leaving. Yeah. But yet he's expressed public frustrations about that. And I think that makes the lame duck status of Oklahoma and Texas makes them want, makes everybody want to have a clean break as quickly as possible. And that could be 22. Yeah, it, it could be. We'll, uh, we'll see what happens. Hoove, where can people uh, find you and uh, follow all the great stuff you're doing covering OU and your radio show there in Tulsa, man? Yeah, uh, everything I do is posted on my Twitter feed. That's John E. Hoover. Uh, and then, of course, if you want to go straight to the website, uh, traffic has never been better. Business has never been better, Tyler. Uh, we're setting new records every month, it seems. So uh, people are really getting into allsooners.com. We call it SI Sooners to keep that SI tag with it because that's, that's really good brand recognition. But uh, the website itself is allsooners.com, and it's just absolutely blowing up. So highly recommend anybody that's interested in OU coverage, check that out. Well, I know that it's it's football, football the time, but I, I got to say, I'm, I'm excited about the Port Moser era, man. Uh, it should be fun to see. Seems like a great guy, and what he does with that program, uh, I, I'm very intrigued to see this next step after the uh, Lon Kruger era here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, he he injects a little more energy than Lon Kruger in his last few years, right? Uh, certainly, he's a guy that's a extremely high-energy guy. Uh, so I, I got to meet him face-to-face just a couple of weeks ago, and he just he exudes that first, like, hey, man, how you doing? Good to see you. You know, it's like, whoa. Right. <laughs> that the breaks. But you appreciate the enthusiasm. Uh, he's a guy I think that's going to fit in very well in the Big 12 Conference, Tyler. And if you look around the Big 12 Conference, you've got the the staple of Bill Self at Kansas, but you've also got Chris Beard jumping ship. You've got new coaches, or you've got Baylor coming off a national title. Uh, there's so much movement. There's so much happening in the transfer portal. Big 12 basketball is going to be fantastic. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Hove, appreciate the time, man. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch up again down the line. All right, Tyler. Thanks, buddy. All right, big thanks to John Hoover for joining us here on the Jones Report today. Tyler Jones, Luke Slaybaugh, back here with you now with a few more things. Uh, Bo is out this week. He's a little under the weather, so uh, Luke is going to jump in with me, and, and he's playing the roles of two people today. We haven't played Bo, and he's Thomas Bridges as well, and so he's going to be here for our Picks Against the Spread this week presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can log on to OAGKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisoryGroup.com to check out the latest happenings at O'Connor Advisory Group. Schedule an appointment today. You can also reach out to Bo by phone at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720. And also on Facebook, O'Connor Advisory Group by email, Brian.O'Connor at LPL.com. That's Brian with a Y, .O'Connor at LPL.com for more information there. Holiday season, not too uh, early to uh, be thinking about uh, some life insurance and uh, setting your future before the new year begins. All right, uh, Luke, uh, here is our slate this week of games that uh, we are looking at on the docket this week. And uh, these are some tough games to pick, I got to tell you. Uh, our week nine slate, it uh, starts with a top eight matchup between Michigan and Michigan State. The Wolverines, a four and a half point favorite. Number 20, Penn State taking on number five, Ohio State. The Buckeyes favored at 18 and a half. Number 10, Ole Miss taking on number 18, Auburn. Auburn favored at two and a half. Virginia taking on number 25, BYU. BYU favored at two and a half. Number one, Georgia taking on Florida. The Dogs favored at 14. 
Then in the NFL, Thursday night football, Packers and Cardinals. Cardinals favored by six. Bucks and Saints, Bucks favored by five. Titans and Colts, Tennessee, a one-point favorite. Cowboys and Vikings, and uh, the boys are favored at two and a half. Steelers and Browns, and the Browns are favored at two and a half. So there you have it, 10 games on the slate this week. We'll go ahead and get started with college games. Luke, I'll let you go first. Michigan and Michigan State, a uh, rivalry game there in the Big Ten Conference. Michigan favored four and a half. What are you feeling there? Yeah, I think that's accurate. I think they cover. Um, yeah, uh, it's – I mean, Mel Tucker's turning it around. Harbaugh's – I mean, if not for a couple of plays, I've heard it said, you know, Michigan really would own this this rivalry under the Harbaugh era, especially that one once game from, like, 2015, I believe it was. Yeah, I think four and a half is fair. Maybe even a little bit more for Michigan. Um, Penn State, Ohio State, after seeing – We'll get to that, that here in a match- second. Oh, um, oh, yeah, it's your turn. My bad. Yes, yes. <laughs> Jumping ahead. Yeah. Uh, Michigan and Michigan State, I think both these teams, Luke, are, are frauds. They're not real title contenders or Big Ten title contenders. Um, you know, Mel Tucker's done a good job, but I don't believe in the talent that they have there. Michigan – They've you know squeaked by, you know, whether it was barely beating Nebraska or some of these other teams here. I think Michigan wins. It's not going to be pretty, but uh, I'll, I'll give the Wolverines uh, that cover at four and a half. Penn State taking on Ohio State. Ohio State favored at 18 and a half. Luke, Ohio State's been playing a lot better as of late here. Yeah, their defense has really turned it on since kind of fumbling out the gate the, the first couple of weeks, and especially that, that Oregon loss as well. I... Uh, if, if you had told me this a couple of weeks ago, that this would have been the forecast or the, the spread, I would have kind of batted my eyes and been like, what? But I think Penn State really kind of did unravel in that, that Illinois loss, um, the, the, the overtime affair that was. And Nine I think overtimes. That, yeah, yeah I, I mean, I give it to the Buckeyes to cover. I think this is it. And this is what they're going to do. This is the, the true Big Ten playoff threat, always has been, was always gearing up that way. They just played a good Oregon team. It wasn't a great Oregon team, but it was an under. It was a bad loss. It wasn't an acceptable loss, but it was a bad loss. But no, at the, at this point, uh, Buckeyes are going to roll over people. So they cover. Yeah, I think Ohio State. I, I like C.J. Stroud and and uh, Chris Olave. I mean, they got some real NFL talent on that roster there. But too many points for me, Luke. I got to disagree. I think Ohio State wins, but eighteen and a half. Um, remember that Ohio State defense still isn't great. It, it kind of reminds me of an Oklahoma team under Bob Stoops. Really good offense, but defense gives up a lot of points. I think Penn State can keep it with an eight, 18 and a half. I'll go with uh, the Nittany Lions to cover that margin there. Number 10, Ole Miss taking on number 18, Auburn. Auburn, despite being the lower-ranked team, is a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Luke, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go against this. Um, I think Ole Miss wins this game, first and foremost, seeing Lane Kiffin's team and how it's handled adversity on the road. I think their game against Tennessee is the, the prime and most notable example. Um, this team is going places. They're, they're every bit deserving of a top 10 ranking. And, no, I'm, I'm going against the spread here. Yeah, I'm going with uh, Ole Miss here. I think they win outright. And, and uh, Auburn – you know, Brian Harson's done a good job. You know, he's got some work to do to rebuild that roster after what was left from Gus Malzahn. But Lane's offense is uh, is terrific. They're going to put up points. They're going to put on a show. I think they take care of business. Virginia taking on BYU. 
Bronco Mendenhall, the coach at Virginia, facing his old team. BYU, a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home. BYU, Luke, showed a lot of good signs in the first few weeks, beating Pac-12 South teams left and right, but then kind of hit a wall there in uh, the last few weeks, losing to Boise State and Baylor here. They're favored at two-and-a-half. Do you think uh, the Cougs can uh, bounce back here? I don't think so, no. And, and I hadn't really – can't blame me for not paying attention to a Bronco Mendenhall coach team, uh, but they're actually good. They there are they're six and two right now, and they're on a four game win streak. This is all news to me. I have not paid attention to UVA <laughs> and that, and I never really intend to. Um, but that they shut out Duke forty eight nothing. They put up forty eight points against Georgia Tech last week. Something's going right, I suppose. Um, no, I think that this BYU team is, is not anywhere close to the contenders, quote-unquote, of, of prior seasons. I remember there were a, quite a few BYU fans calling me out on TikTok because I made some offshoot comments about the AP poll. There were about five teams. I was like, are they really better than Notre Dame? And I had, like, Oklahoma State, BYU, and two other teams that at this point, no, are not better than um, Notre Dame. I got called out for being a Notre Dame homer. I am not. Couldn't care less about that team either. But, no. I think uh, I think I picked uh, Virginia in this game just to just to stick it to the man. Just to stick it to the uh, new Big Twelve guys uh, from uh, from Brigham Young. My goodness, um, why why oh why why did they think that was a good idea? Ah, this is going to be obnoxious. I'm sorry. Continue. It's going to be obnoxious going to Provo and not being able to buy beer. This is a 9:15 kickoff. No one wants to watch this game. What are, you okay. going to be, what are you going to be doing at that time? No, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be in Provo. Do you want to know why? Oh, no. Because it's $9 to get in the stadium. <laughs> no one wants to go to this game. <laughs> it's Halloween. That's why. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, I guess. What do you think Halloween is like in Provo? Though? I haven't. Uh, I, I mean, I, you can't be a slutty nurse, uh, that's for sure. No, I think... <laughs> I, I didn't think I was going to come out of my shell and be this, uh, this provocative, but no. Um, where was I going with this? Yeah. I haven't dressed up for Halloween and this will be six years. I, I, I respect the holiday. It's fine. But have, have never, I respect the holiday. That's nice of you. I would be, I, I would be the, the squid game uh, uh, agents or whatever. The, the people with the PlayStation buttons for masks, that would be my costume this year. Or Ted Lasso. I had, I had, I had a mustache on Monday, but I had to shave it off um, for professional reasons. Right. Um, I'd be Ted Lasso as well. Yep. Um, I'm going to be a cowboy uh, for Halloween. How original. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Where'd you get cowboy? that idea? Right. Um, <laughs> you you got to think, like, Provo's going to be one of the worst places to be Halloween, right? Provo's probably just going to be one of the worst places to be. That too. I, I, don't, I mean, I've been to Salt Lake City wonderful beautiful city lots of culture the rest of utah i don't know someone someone informed me (laughs) i'll go with byu to cover here because they want to get out of provo as quickly as possible um georgia taking on florida georgia favored by 14 luke all these lines the last few weeks you go back to the kentucky game a couple weeks ago georgia was favored by (laughs) like 21 i think and then 
They had a game against Arkansas where they're favored by 18. I thought this line was kind of low considering what how big a favorite Georgia's been most of these games. Since you're 14, you're giving me bacon grease here. I think they can cover 14. I know it's a rivalry game and all, but uh, Florida, they were able to hang around with uh, with Alabama. I get that, but uh, I think Georgia's going to lay the smack down. I think they can cover 14. I'll go with the dogs. I think that's fair. I want to believe that, that Florida is going to make this a closer game than their recent performance would have you believe. Uh, Dan Mullen, we're going to be start, we're going to start talking about the Florida hot seat pretty soon. If, if they don't get their act together, this was really my one hope. I wanted the SEC East to be chaos this year. I wanted Georgia to get at least one L before they played Tennessee. Uh, but that's probably not going to happen. But no, I think I, I let's say ten points. I'm I'm optimistic. I think I'm picking Florida here. All right, let's go to the National Football League. We talked about this game earlier: the Packers and the Cardinals. Cardinals favored by six. Um, I think Arizona wins. Um, you know, with Aaron Rodgers playing with guys that you know he, he's shorthanded and such, but um. It's still Aaron Rodgers, and you're giving me six points to work with. Arizona may win, sure, but, I mean, I'm, I'm not bailing on Aaron here. Give me uh, Green Bay to, uh, to cover that six-point margin, Luke. For the exact same reasons that you articulated, I would agree. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to ball out, and I think it's probably a three-point game. So, yeah, I'll take Green Bay covers. The Bucks taking on the Saints. Bucks favored by five here. Uh, I think that's a very fair line. I would go with the Bucs. I think they win this one by a touchdown. Uh, I don't think it's the shootout that a lot of people anticipate in this one. I think you're talking about the defense is playing better than expected. I would like the Bucs here, like probably like a 27-20 win here uh, over the Saints. What say you here, Luke? It really depends on which New Orleans Saints team shows up and how they run their offense. If it's going to be strictly through Alvin Kamara, which Jameis Winston is going to show up. Um, if things trend for the worse on that front, I could see this being a two touchdown game. No problem. I think five is very conservative. I think the bucks do cover easily, but I would not rule out, you know, a 41, 27 type affair or something of that nature. We'll see. Titans taking on the Colts. Titans favored by one. This is the easiest pick of the entire week for me. Luke, uh, Titans, you're giving me one point. Like I, I think they win this game by at least seven here. I think that, this is a long day for Carson Wentz and Kevin. I know the Colts have played better, but I think they come back down to earth. Titans are playing really good right now. I like the Titans cover that one-point margin. Yeah, this might be a game that really is, is decided in, in the first quarter because you give the Titans a lead. You give Mike Brabel and Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill a, a, a way to play downhill. Um, I mean, this is what happened last week uh, against the Chiefs. Uh, there was no coming back from there. So I think how this game starts will be how it ends. And, and I think – yeah, I'd give it to the Titans. It's going to be close. I mean, these are two of the hottest teams in the AFC. So it'll be a well-fought game. Cowboys and Vikings. Cowboys favored by two and a half. Luke, and the Vikes make this interesting? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I assume that's a pick for the Cowboys uh, at two and a half. Um, I will do the same here. Uh, Kellen Moore and company, uh, this offense puts on quite the clinic. Uh, the it's Vikings the have a terrible offense. defense. Yes. Steelers and the Brownies. Browns favored by two and a half here. Um, Luke, what do we think about this one? Browns might be hobbling in on one leg and with 
as of this recording, eight offensive starters questionable. That would make you scratch your head. I think if this were like a three point line or three and a half point line, I would be I'd scratch my head a little bit more. But I believe that they will outplay this Pittsburgh team. I think Ben okay. Roethlisberger's decline is just beyond hilarious and they need to make a move and they needed to make a move three years ago. And I just, I can't put any money on Pittsburgh through yes. I think Cleveland covers believe spoken like Ted Lasso there. Um, I believe in believe. I believe in believe I will uh, go with the Browns here as well. So we disagreed on a couple of games there, but those are our picks against the spread this week. Uh, Bo's picks this week. He went Michigan, Penn state, Ole Miss, BYU, Georgia, Green Bay, Tampa Bay, Tennessee, Dallas, and uh, Cleveland. So there you have it. Our picks against the spread this week presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. Check out O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagks.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com for more information there. A couple more things before we go. Let's uh, get to our Big 12 breakdown this week, looking at the slate of Big 12 games. It all gets started at 11 a.m. with Baylor and Texas. And the Bears, a three-point favorite at home against this Texas team. Luke, you have a Baylor team that is really good on defense and a Texas team that's got a high-power offense. Something's got to give here. I think this is a very interesting matchup. I'm not quite sold on, on Baylor uh, as the 16th best team in the country. I, I would it, it hurts me to say, but I, I lean towards Texas, even though – Texas stumbled against, you know, giving that game away against Oklahoma and the egg they laid against Arkansas and you know, losing a tight one against Oklahoma State. I still like that offense of, uh, of Thompson and company here. I, I think they can go, get in, go into Waco, get a win here. What say you? I, I think your line of thinking is totally fair. I think when you're looking at traditional where these teams stack up this point in the season in the Big 12, you would think that Texas has the upper hand here. I don't know. I've seen McLean Stadium just kind of become electric. Um, when at they 11 a.m.? Uh, not, not at 11 a.m., but I get uh, kind of like Provo. Uh, Waco, Texas is one of those towns where you go in and you're like, when did we leave? Uh, but Baylor itself is very, like, it's a very passionate fan base. They definitely will hold sway in the outcome of this game. They're going to be loud. It's going to be great. Um, the Baylor offense is nothing to, to sleep on either. I think their performances against – West Virginia and BYU and uh, their early season slate as well. It's been uh, more than they could ask for, really. I think uh, this would have been a good game to pick for uh, for against the spread, but I do think it's a shootout, and I think Baylor wins. Iowa State taking on West Virginia. Big win for Iowa State against Oklahoma State last week. They're a seven-point favorite on the road against this West Virginia team. They're back in the top 25, ranked 22 in the land. And we've seen what Brock Purdy has done in the month of October, historically speaking, Brocktober, as uh, they call it. Luke, do you think Iowa State has turned a corner here? Uh, is this team here to stay? Are they a, a big? Are they a contender to make the Big Twelve title game? What say you as far as this Iowa State team right now? They have turned the corner enough to once again renegotiate Matt Campbell's contract to pay him <laughs> more money to stay in Ames, Iowa, and not go to the LSU or Penn State or wherever. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, plenty of the, those three one-loss teams between Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and Baylor, um, I would say, as of this recording, Iowa State's probably got the upper hand to finish 
um, with one loss, perhaps. I mean, two of, all, all of those teams have to go through OU, so I, I'm not quite entirely sure now. But as of, as of this week, absolutely. I mean, Brees Hall is a, is a stud. We saw that in the, in the OSU game, and we'll, we'll see it again as well in Morgantown. And uh, also on the slate this week, Texas Tech taking on number four, Oklahoma. OU's been playing everybody close all season long. I actually don't want to start with OU here. Let's talk with Tech. They fire Matt Wells, and they're a five and three football team. Sonny Cumbie is going to take over as the interim head coach. And you got a battle of two former Leach assistants now with Sonny and Lincoln going head to head. Um, Look, I wasn't a big Matt Wells fan. I didn't even like when he got hired at the time, Luke. But uh, at five and three, I understand they weren't playing great. I was actually surprised they went ahead and pulled the trigger and fired Matt Wells right now. I thought that there was a good chance he could fire at the end of the season. I, I, I didn't see this eight games in. You know, Lincoln Riley spoke this week just how disheartening it is that, that schools will cut ties with their coaches midseason and not really take into account how the players feel about it or the direction of the program or, you know, the prognosis for the season and the fans and, and the rest of it and all of how it plays out. And I addressed that in my monologue on raw tools this past week about like, when you know, it's over, like it, it's over. Like there's no reason you would want to string that out when you already know that your path is diverging from the head coach that you currently have, which is why, for example, I think it's nuts that Ed Ogeron is still on the sideline right now because so much can go wrong in these next four or five weeks. And uh, it, it you, you mentioned it's crazy. They're winning. Like, like, like they're five and three. And like, yes, Matt Wells. The best season they've had in years. Yeah. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury left a lot to be desired in, in uh, Lubbock. But like they're – Matt Wells was such an uninspiring, like milk toast hire and really didn't deliver the first two seasons. So I think they knew at some point, whether it was the Texas game, which you probably won't want to talk about if you're a Raiders fan, or uh, the, the loss to K-State, uh, who have not been great this year. Um, they just did not see the momentum that they wanted. And they do have a losing conference record right now. So, like, the season, or at least the aspirations that they had, um, they fell very short of. I do, and this is a really great question to ask. Not now, but just in weeks forthcoming. Who do Texas Tech think that they are? Like, what's the goal? What is the end result desired? And, and how are they getting there? Because ever since Mike Leach, it's been like, eh, whatever. <laughs> it's been just very, very meh. Yeah, I think if Texas Tech can average seven or eight wins, they ought to be content. But they're still a ways away from getting there. I'll, I'll, t- I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this. They did not think they could win that game with Matt Wells as head coach um, Saturday at 2.30 in, in Norman. And perhaps igniting the fire or, or switching something up or just throwing something at the wall and seeing if it sticks, they think that they might have an upper hand. Vegas doesn't think so. Vegas, I mean, it's, it's just I would love that now. if that was the mentality of all these teams. Like, you know what? Our head coach, he can't beat this team. Let's just go ahead and fire him and try someone else and that'd give us a shot. Well, it probably is. When, when you look at the conference and see how Oklahoma makes everyone look so terribly bad by comparison, um, you can't go out and get Lincoln Riley, but you can open things up for uh, contention again. I mean, LSU did that when they saw Les Miles get his ass handed to him by Nick Saban every year. And then 2016, they were just like, 
oh my God, you couldn't manage the clock against Auburn or Ole Miss, I forgot who it was. And then they just fired him and then they gave the, the reins to Ed Ogeron and, and they all lived happily ever after until Ed Ogeron started hitting on other people's wives. <laughs> Oklahoma at 8-0, first time since 2004 that the Sooners have started out 8-0, but they're barely beating bad teams. And Caleb Williams came back down to earth a little bit last week. Um, although he did finish strong and such. Yeah. They should take care of business against Texas Tech. I'm very confused about this Oklahoma team, Luke, because I think Oklahoma's a good team. I think their best football is still ahead of them, that they can take that next step and they could be a title contending team. But eight games in, I'm like, okay, when's it going to happen? I mean, the only time I can recall of a national title team in my lifetime that just went through the motions of sorts all season where every game was close was that USC team with, uh, or not the USC team, rather the Auburn team with Cam Newton and they had a generational talent quarter at the quarterback position. They won close games all season long. Now in this situation with Oklahoma, I mean, Caleb Williams looks like a future star quarterback. I mean, he's already a star quarterback, but, I just don't know. I think their best fo- football is ahead of them, but uh, I'm skeptical here. Luke? By this point in the season, from my experience covering OU, I would have expected them to have laid an egg and for it to have cost them. Like yes. losing to Kansas State twice in a row, losing to Iowa State and Ames, the, uh, the first half of the Baylor game in 2019 down in Waco. Like There have been so many instances in which the Sooners have deserved to lose but have been able to pull it together last minute. And and this is essentially what this past week was. Um, Lincoln Riley, as John Hoover wrote, for example, disrespecting the process, uh, preparing for Kansas, taking a day off practice, um, not playing a lot of their – because they were so banged up, they needed a bye week so badly, and they'll get one after this week. But I – you are right. This is such a hanging on, such an unconvincing 8-0. All the drama with the, the students watching practice from the tower thing, like it's, it's turning into like this, you're waiting for the shoe to drop. You're waiting for like the reveal and for it all to collapse in the final, like after the season. And, and that is what, I mean, the final three games after this, they're ranked opponents. If you run the gamut here and you win uh, and you go undefeated into the conference title game, yeah, hell yeah, you're making the playoff. You might be, even be better than a four seed this time. You could be a three or a two. Really Doesn't it chances. feel like that if Oklahoma loses – um, whether that's in you know in the playoff or even the regular season, if, if that loss shows up, doesn't it feel like based on the way they play? Okay, whenever that loss happens, they would just get smacked by somebody. Like that's kind of the feeling I get. Like you know, hey, eventually this team has to get exposed, right? Uh, if it's Georgia or Ohio State, absolutely. Like no, it's. It, it, it's death by a thousand lashes. <laughs> That's what well I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I will say this, and not that OU fans would want to hear this, but this game against Texas Tech is one of those that really should have kicked off at 11 a.m. just to see how they reacted to, to the adversity because it's everyone against OU these days. TCU against uh, K-State. A lot of purple in this game. Uh, the football will be run a lot in this matchup. Um, I lean towards K-State here, but I, I don't say so confidently, uh, Luke. No, this is a weird team. I thought Chris Kleiman was like the dude, and I thought he was a really 
you know, strong, like great leader. He could own Lincoln Riley, like was going to make things interesting and sexy in the Big 12. And now he's like begging reporters to like publish positive things about this team. Like it's not, it's not unreasonable to think that K-State could be like a top 25 team perennially, like be like 21st, 20th in the nation. I think that's totally fair. Um, and again, just a string of not so great losses, barely beating Texas Tech. Um, these days they don't look great. And he kind of just looks like North Dakota State Butch Jones right now. It's kind of sad. I don't like bringing up Butch Jones, but every podcast, someone's going to say it. So, Oh, sure. you, know, you, you know you love Butch Jones. I mean, Butch, I can't escape Butch Jones. He's like down the road in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Jones, Jonesboro, Arkansas. Um, and like, honestly, like really nice guy, but just head scratching, head scratching individual from, from a coaching standpoint. Have you ever had a personal encounter with Butch Jones? Oh, hell yeah. When I first got to Knoxville. Yeah. He, I mean, he would go to like seven on sevens. He would watch high school players practice and stuff. And I mean, was very, I remember, I mean, cause this was my first job. Out were, of, you a, uh, were you a life champion according to Butch Jones? <laughs> I'm, I'm a champion at nothing, Tyler. You know that. <laughs> That's what your ex-girlfriend said, right? Yeah. yeah. She's married now. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> let's let's move on. Oh, last one. Kansas and Oklahoma State. Um, you know, I, I loved what my Hawks did last week, holding their own. I don't expect that to happen two weeks in a row. Uh, I expect Oklahoma State to, to lay down the uh, shellacking here. Oklahoma State, 6-1, and one, looking to bounce back after that game against Iowa State last week. Luke, what do you think of this Oklahoma State team right now at 6-1? and one? Do you think that uh, they can find a way into that Big 12 title game or are they uh, going to be working behind the eight ball here too much with that lost Iowa State they had now? They're a 1,000% behind, behind the eight ball here. And I was kind of worried. It's one of those things we had mentioned, you know, we're waiting for you and the shoe to drop. And, like, you needed the signature, like, lukewarm Mike Gundy loss, like, in the middle of the season to just, like, to know, to let you know that in terms of, like, two tiers of college football – OSU was not going to be in it. And it's really sad. I, I didn't pay attention much to the team early on in the season because the, the wins were uninspiring. Um, Missouri State, Boise State, Tulsa, like bad teams. And like it's just not they, – they were not – they were not convincing at all. And so when they started to beat ranked teams, I was like, oh, God – not this again. I'm going to regret, you know, regret not covering them. Just all these memories of pain came back. And then I was like, ah, Iowa state, there we go. It's all over. Um, no, they're not going to, they're not going to win Bedlam and uh, ooh, they've got to, they got to run the, huh, they'll be at Lubbock in Morgantown. I don't know. I, I, I don't buy Spencer Sanders. I, I no, never got it. Never would, got you, the would you rather party in Lubbock or Morgantown? I've been to neither. I've I've been told to avoid Lubbock at all costs, which I, I I'm sure I would love it. I would I mean, love I, to burn I'd some lo- couches in Morgantown. I I've lobbied my last place. I lobbied very hard to go on the road to both of those places and like drive myself or, or pay for my own flight. And it was very much like, a, do you really want to go there? Like, don't do that. So I don't know. I'll try it. One of these days, I'm going to be very fortunate to cover a game in both of those markets. I just the circumstances around which I, I don't know. All right. There you have it. That's our Big 12 breakdown for this week as we've gone around the Big 12 conference here on the Jones Report this week. Final segment before we wrap up today's show. It is time for our Tom Fullery story of the week where 
we find out something that's happening ridiculous in the world. And uh, Luke Slayball is going to lead us this week with uh, Thomas Alts. And uh, Luke, it's all yours, man. Where are we headed to this time? We are headed to the great city of Seattle, Washington. Uh, do you know what the most appealing thing in these dreary fall conditions, the most wonderful thing happening right now, or entertaining, I guess, to watch? Like Sissy Fist rolling the rock up the up the hill, only for it to fall back down again. Uh, no, I have no idea. It's DK Metcalf trying to have a personal life. Um, it has gone completely haywire, um, as written in a in a very very concise headline. DK Metcalf is taking L's on and off the field this year. An OnlyFans model named oh Tori Lynn went on an angry rant on her Instagram alleging that DK Metcalf tried to get her to do a foursome hours after flaking on her. Metcalf allegedly told her to come to his house and on her way there when she was almost there he told her to turn around. The woman claims or Tori Lynn claims Metcalf messaged her later in the night to tell her to turn around because he wanted to have a foursome. He then posted some screenshots or, yeah, screen caps. I guess she's a two-phone person. Um, uploading a Snapchat message from DK saying that... Let me see. The series of Snapchat messages said, I'm eating right now, and it was great. LOL. Love them. In reference to, I guess, the, the two other girls um, that were involved. Two other women, I would suppose. Um, anyway, uh, DK Metcalf, Mad Horny, and really, um, you know, we, we depend on the rock stars and the athletes to, to try to um, aspire to the lives that, that we men can't have. Um, and to see someone like DK Metcalf strike out swinging, um, that was something else. DK Metcalf, Mad Horny, um, taking L's. Shoot or shoot. You can't win them all. I mean, uh, if Shannon Sharp's going to go after DK Metcalf again, this would be the perfect ammo. I mean, Shannon Sharp goes after him. Now he's got this. The Seahawks' record isn't too hot. I like DK, but, man, he's on a bit of a cold streak right now. It makes you wonder how influential a role uh, Russell Wilson played in his life. Um, because I'm guessing it's not at all, maybe like 0%. You've got, like, the holiest, most pious, like, family man in Russell Wilson, and, like, his number one receiver is trying to live some crooked fantasy. I don't want to say crooked, but um, just – ungodly otherworldly impossible type thing in seattle washington of all places like he doesn't need to do this but you know so many you know this this like never gets reported like there's so many other instances of this happening you think of like some of the, the greatest stars out there in the nba nfl um i mean the james hardens of the world for example like you know that that it's happening um, to varying degrees of success. And to see DK Metcalf, a, a great-looking dude and a star player come up so terribly short, um, it kind of restores your faith in humanity that, you know, like, maybe I'm not missing out on that much, you know? The part about putting him on blast and all that, um, we're getting to laugh at his expense, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, did, did that need to happen? Did, did if... I feel bad for him almost, even though he's wealthy, rich, and got so much going for him. 
it, it seemed like one of those unnecessary evils here. I mean, you got to speak your truth. Um, every anytime you you put something out there on social media uh, online, whether it's the, the internet, Snapchat, Twitter, email, whatever, um, you should prepare to suffer consequences for whatever that is. So you got to live your truth, and uh, if you don't want anything being made public, um, I mean, that's always the way I've approached the internet. I'll stand by. I mean, everything, everything above the age of eighteen, I stand by it on social media. So I, uh, I can admit that I've I've been short-sighted and ignorant and have you been put mistakes. on blast before ever for requesting a foursome no <laughs> <laughs> thanks for clarifying that be, be, be careful who you talk to in st louis but no um i have i been put on blast i mean several times i covered tennessee football if you say something that doesn't jive with the the the, the tennessee fan base they Kill you, well, I mean, like, have you been, been put on blast for a, a, a conversation with a female? Let me put it that way. No. No. Neither have I. Thank God I haven't. If you're going for those DMs, Luke, what's the first thing you're dropping? Um, hey, are you a campfire because you're hot and I want some more? <laughs> That's good. What's usually the response? You're getting blocked right after that? Yeah, pretty much. A lot of like, <laughs> boys don't understand nuances. I don't know. I, you know, I, I'm one of those people. This is the last thing I'm going to say about this subject. I'm one of those people that aims higher. Like the only people that I would try to flirt with are out of my league and will say no. And then I take that and I go on a podcast and do about it. Yeah. I mean, swing for the fences, right? That's what you got to do. Go big or go I, home. I, I had, I, I recently went out um, to a dance club, Miami Nights uh, in Midtown Tulsa. And I had a conversation with someone there and I explained this exact dynamic. I was telling her, I was like, Hey, like I usually just talk to people who are, you know, I would be overwhelmed, overjoyed, over the moon, just out of this world happy if we ended up together. And oh, surprisingly, it never works out. And she was like, oh, well, you know, like, you guys need to be equally yoked. And I was like, excuse me? And she was like, equally yoked, like from the book of Samuel. And I was like, stop that right now. I, I she threw out a biblical reference. I'm like, oh, yeah. Need to it's, it's a reference to oxen, like <laughs> equally yoked oxen. And I want to say that's the last time we talked, but it wasn't. Oof. Man, you know, you go for the fences, you see what happens, and, and and the rest hopefully works itself out. I'll say this. I would bet that this was a younger gal that, you know, probably early 20s that put him on blast because this type of game that you do, you know, I, I was I remember having a conversation. I won't say who it was, but somebody that's been on this program before when I was younger and they told me, you know, hey, you know, women, they stop playing games, you know, or they should stop playing games after 24. And I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. Ha, I don't believe that false. for a second. Very false. False. And <laughs> sure enough, uh, I found out very quickly my own self that, yes, that is not true. Women do not play stop playing games after 24. This seems like a game, though, that's a younger game, you know, and then that younger spectrum. I don't think that the, the older female is uh, – I think they're more mature enough to not put a guy on blast like this. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
It really depends. I, I, I can't, I don't know this person. I, I'm not familiar with Tori Lynn's work, but maybe if you have me on next week, I can give you more insight. I, I don't know. <laughs> You'll do some, uh, some big J journalism, some investigative reporting. Well, here's the thing. And we'll, we'll, let, let's, let's branch into that for a second. Um, you know how like credit card companies will call you and be like, oh, just, I know Hannibal Burris has a good bit on this. It's like, oh, did you buy like $500 worth of books at Barnes and Noble, you know, halfway across the country? And my bank has never like done that for me. Like it's, it's gotten a lot of erroneous charges, like on my mom's card, for example, and she'll address it on hers and they'll call her. But like, for me, like one time I got called was like, did you purchase an OnlyFans subscription for $4.99? And I was like, it's embarrassing man <laughs> it's awful have a stern like bank teller on the other line be like are you using these funds appropriately I'm like, no no i'm not so you have purchased an only fans account before i have an only fans tyler oh my god really <laughs> no <laughs> i wish that was true actually i don't wish that was true but it would be funny i think uh, sully angles would be my first pick for having an only fans <laughs> Tyler Greer, second. <laughs> Are we going to start calling out journalists now that should get an OnlyFans? This 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 segment is going really sideways. I thought it was just funny to make fun of DK Metcalf's horniness. Oh, I but, did. Yeah. Um, but I mean that I mean that means that an NFL player is paying for OnlyFans. Again, like you really wonder, like was it COVID that made this happen? Is he just like not able to go out to the bar? I, I I don't know. I. I this this may be the story of 2021 that we got to figure out. But so I have a uh, an athlete only fan story. I cannot give the name away. I cannot say the name, but I do have a, a very good story here. Um, I am sworn that I cannot say the, the name of who this is. But uh, <laughs> Ben Simmons, probably. Yeah. So I, I know of a, a NASCAR driver uh, who he met this girl on pit road uh, before the all-star race at Texas Motor Speedway. And, you know, she was this attractive girl, uh, of course, and, you know, she was on OnlyFans. And uh, she took, he took a picture with her uh, by the race car and before the race. And this guy's already married and got a kid. And he's got another baby on the way. And he takes a picture with her before the race, meets her right then. And then after the race, within like an hour or two after the race ended, he had followed her on all social media and he subscribed to her OnlyFans and had already jumped into her DMs. And I'm like, dude, I mean, like, my gosh, the race was, she was on your mind, I guess, the entire race thing. No wonder you finished in last place. <laughs> wow. This Kyle Larson story is really wild. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was not Kyle Larson, I'll tell you that. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. That is good. Uh, Luke, uh, a pleasure having you with us today, my friend. Uh, glad that you could jump in and join us for the uh, the whole show today. Before we go, plug the the show and uh, where people can follow you and all the uh, great stuff you're doing. Man. Uh, Raw Tools on the Studio Soapbox Network comes out every Tuesday. 
um, on social media. I'm at Luke Slabaugh, L-U-K-E-S-L-A-B as in boy, A-U-G-H on Twitter and Facebook and TikTok. And then uh, it's Luke underscore Slayball on Instagram, but there's not a whole lot going on there anyway. But we plug the podcast a lot. We have on some great guests. Uh, we've got so many cool people lined up the next few weeks. And um, this was a really fulfilling experience because you kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone, Tyler. And I can't wait to be canceled tomorrow. Perfect. Me too. We'll go down swinging together. I love it. Oh, yeah. As always, subscribe to the Jones Report, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Also on Twitter, at Tyler Jones Live, at Studio underscore Soapbox, Instagram, Tyler Jones Live, Jones underscore Report. You can find us there. Big thanks to John Hoover for stopping by as well. And check out all our shows in the Studio Soapbox Network. Luke's show, Raw Tools, on Tuesdays. This show, the Jones Report, available on Thursdays. Let's go racing with uh, David Starr. We're coming towards the end of the NASCAR season, uh, but we'll be doing shows throughout the offseason. That shows out on uh, Wednesdays. And uh, then you have Coach Bo's show on Mondays and uh, Fridays as well, the uh, Coach Bo Knows podcast. Subscribe to all those shows. We certainly would appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you right back here next week. John Hoover, Luke Slaybaugh, I am Tyler Jones. And you've been listening to another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you next week. So long.